Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Drive Through FM. It's been a little while since we did this. It's been kind of a long year uh, with a whole move situation for me and everything else going on in the last year. So hopefully we'll be able to start spinning back up a podcast here on a monthly basis. I'm excited to do it. And to join me today, I have two very special guests. The first guest I will introduce is Mr. David Waybright, first time ever joining me on the channel. It is. Thank you very much for having me. I am I'm kind of, uh, truth be told, a bit of a fill-in, but hopefully I'll get the job done. <laughs> I'm sure you will. Now, David's over there on Man vs. Meeple. Obviously, if you know my channel, you'll you'll know David's for sure. And uh, David's been doing a lot of good stuff over there with uh, everybody on that team. And you guys have really uh, changed up your format here over the last year, kind of doing some experimenting with uh, video yeah. making. Yeah, we've we've. I mean, we like to think anyway, uh, whether we achieve this or not. We like to think that we try to keep changing things up and uh, pushing things and. Doing these a little bit differently, I think one of the things we've done most different uh, in in recent past is uh, changing up our review format a little bit and really making them a bit more of a deep dive than we once did before. And some of that was forced upon us because, you know, last year we had to start really recording a lot of things separately, or at least more right. so. So... When you're doing things separately, uh, I can tell you it's quite a bit different than having someone sitting next to you that you can bounce things off of back and forth. So we had to really dig in and script things out a little bit more. Yeah, I've definitely enjoyed uh, some of those re review format changes and stuff like that. And uh, cool. believe me, I've had to change up my stuff as well. <laughs> uh, so thanks, David, for joining us. Yep. And we are also joined by Mr. Marty Cannell of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. Welcome, Marty. Hey, Joel. Hey, David. Glad to be here. It's interesting, David, that you say that, hey, you know, we can't record together and that makes it tough and you have to kind of script things out. My co-host and I, Tony, never record face-to-face -face, and we never script. And it, I guess that is why it shows. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a beautiful thing, though, too, because that's how Jeremy and I have done it for years. And it is, as long as you have good, uh, you're synced up with the other person pretty well, yeah, it's really, really it can make for really good content. But when you're by yourself, I had no life preserver to throw to when I'm by myself. So I had to kind of like plot things out. Uh, yeah. And then, of course, now we can't see each other. So we can't do any facial facial cues here because I know probably David will stick his tongue out at me most of this episode. Oh, for sure. I'm, yeah. My tongue is out right now. It's uh, <laughs> quite impressive that I'm even speaking as clearly as I am. <laughs> I can picture it. I can picture it. <laughs> I don't want to. So we're going to chat, tap, chat, excuse me, chat a little bit here with uh, David Marty. And then I'm going to jump away and I'm going to do a couple of reviews. Well, like 11 reviews. Whoa. And then we'll bounce back over here. And then the plan for today is to do something I did several years ago. I was looking at my notes and it was six years ago I did this. I thought it was only like three years ago, but it's a while. And basically it's a reverse top 10. So if you saw the title of the episode... Uh, what the reverse top 10 is, we're going to walk through the top 10 games on BoardGameGeek and just kind of provide some alternatives that are either similar in theme or mechanics or maybe the spirit of the game is kind of similar. So we're just going to kind of banter about basically the top 10 games according to B Board Game Geek of all time. But I wanted to ask you guys, I know we've been chatting on the side a little bit, but uh, you all have been watching WandaVision, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, a little bit. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. No, quite a bit. I've I've devoured those things uh, pretty quickly. As you know, uh, I oftentimes will find myself 
waking up in the middle of the night on Thursday, between Thursday and Friday, and usually I just roll back over and go to bed, but since the show's been on, I've been checking the clock and going, oh, okay, it's after 3 a.m., I could just watch WandaVision, uh, and I often do, and then I watch it again with my wife Friday night. Yeah, yours is usually the one in the group chat that says, I watched it, you guys watch it yet? You guys watch it yet? <laughs> yep, yep, that's me. <laughs> I try to stay awake till midnight because I'm over here on the West Coast. And, oh, man, I would yeah, do that. I can't do it. Yeah, I, I, I haven't been able to do it. You need a fresh uh, pair of eyes with that show because it's just kind of filled with all kinds of weirdness and little Easter eggs and all that kind of stuff. So it's probably better that I'm fresh in the morning That's or lunchtime true. on Friday. But, Marty, you've been watching it as well, right? Oh, heck yeah. Heck yeah. We've been loving it. My wife has really, really enjoyed it. We usually, like y'all probably, watch the episodes twice. And then I'll go online and find somebody who makes the videos that shows all the Easter eggs for the stuff that I missed. Yeah, I, I've been loving it. Just because it's so different. And, uh, you know, most of the movies, most of the comic movies have kind of a trope, right? Hey, here's the good guys. There's bad guys. They battle. There's resolution. And this is nothing like that, which is why I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's so so incredibly well done. And like you just said, Marty, it's it's so different. And I think well, one of the things I want to ask you guys about this is I've seen a lot of people online who kind of said, hey, I watched the first couple episodes and then I tuned out. But of yep. course, they've seen everyone talking about it since then. So I've seen a lot of people posting, hey, should I get back into it? Um and I just found it interesting that people uh, tuned out. I know the first couple episodes obviously felt very, very, very different. But I kind of always felt, and I think you guys are with me, that we obviously knew that it was going to go somewhere else. I was just surprised to see people not have maybe that faith from the very get-go. Yeah, you know, my brother actually was like that. I think he said he watched the first episode and then checked out. Uh. And then I think it was around episode four or five. I said, you got to start watching. You got to check back into this. And no, it was episode five because then he said, well, somebody at work had told him, just pick up at episode four or three. And I said, you know what? Pick it up at episode four. I spoiled him the ending of episode three. And then he <laughs> kept watching from there. And he's been enjoying it since. So. I don't know, like I can kind of see the perspective of those first couple episodes. I don't know, if you if you don't really know what to expect, I guess. I agree. It, it just you'd be like, what am I watching? And but you know, like you said, we knew where it's going somewhere. Like it has to be. It's not just gonna be a sitcom for <laughs> you know, eight episodes or whatever. Yeah, Marty, was your was everyone in your household who's watching on board from the very beginning like that? Or were you know, you uh, or any of your family kind of like, I don't know. No, no, we all were on board, but it's like, y'all, we've watched every single movie. You know, there's going to be a payoff somewhere. And like y'all, I was surprised too. I know friends that have watched the movies that said, yeah, I checked out after two episodes and it's like, it was just boring. I don't like, I don't, I don't understand. It's like, it's a slow boil, which I appreciate. I guess everybody expects now, man, you got to get the hook first episode or I'm out. And we just don't want to sit and wait. And the fact that it comes out once a week and they couldn't binge it, then it's old school TV, right? It is. It it is. (laughs) But I love it. I mean, I have to say, I've loved talking about it with you guys week to week. I miss that personally. I may be old school in this respect, but I enjoy that so much more than binging it because I love that sort of water cooler conversation 
uh, between episodes and the theorizing. And like Marty, you said, I absolutely, as geeky as we all are, um, you don't have to go far on YouTube to find a few channels who blow my mind with the level of analysis that they do on these episodes. Uh, there's one, I'll give a shout out here, called New Rockstars. This, there's a guy on this channel, New Rockstars, who has so much Marvel comic book and MCU knowledge and all sorts of stuff that it's just like, whoa. And they have all sorts of interesting theories, really smart stuff. Uh, I love consuming that stuff. Yeah, I like the the week to week thing. I don't know. I'm of two minds. I really like to binge. You know, that's something my wife and I will do over like a couple of weekends sometimes. Sure. With a show, or or even I'll, I'll watch a nerdy type show myself. And I like to. I guess I'm greedy. I like to do the binge, but I also <laughs> agree that I like to have that daily or weekly kind of uh, water cooler talk stuff and you know spit spitballing about theories and stuff like that. That's also a lot of fun. Exactly, because it lets. Honestly, it lets me enjoy a show with you guys, which I normally wouldn't be able to do. We usually, yeah. you know, if I've binged a whole thing and you haven't yet, and it's just, it creates more opportunity to interact, uh, which I really, really like. But no, nothing against binging also. We just binged. I had watched Fringe back in the day, but I had Elisha try the first few episodes of Fringe with me this weekend, and we ended up watching all of season one because I so desperately wanted to see her reaction to the end of season one. I don't know if you guys have watched that, but we are definitely bingers too. I've not heard, I've heard of that show, but I can't remember for the life of me what it's about. I never watched JJ it. JJ Abrams, yeah, I, isn't it? I, I can't ruin it, but it's, uh, it's, it's definitely a science fiction-y feels week to week. It feels kind of X-Files-ish. Uh, is it JJ it, Abrams? It is. He's a producer along with the two guys who wrote for him on a lot of the Star Trek movies. Okay. Um, so it's it's really interesting, and it goes to places by the you know end of the first season and then the second and beyond that like you would have had no uh, idea that that's where it was headed, which is cool. Anyway, I binge. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I, I binge, but like y'all, I appreciate this. Lots of times, times I find guys, and, and Joel, maybe you're one of them, or, or you, David, it's like, hey, new season just came out, and then tomorrow, you know, okay, I finished it. Have you guys watched it? Have you guys watched yeah. it? What episode you got to? I'm on episode two. Well, let me know when you get to episode four, and it's like, it, it kind of loses that conversational piece, yeah. and, then you're do, and then you're doing, oh, you've seen episode four? Let's go do a separate chat, and then we'll talk about it, and it's like, <laughs> well, wait, when I'm ready to talk about it, y'all will have already done talking about it so yeah yeah that's yeah. that's kind of how i feel uh, about it too i really enjoy that conversation so i'm kind of uh pretty excited about the the trend that we're seeing with some of the streaming services going at least with some of their programming week to week like i mean hbo has always done that um but now you know you see uh, Disney Plus clearly doing that, which I think they will embrace for a very long time because I think it's smart for them too, right? Like if I'm a streaming service, I want to chain those things out to keep people engaged on my service. Well, <laughs> let me just say that thank goodness Mandalorian season two was week to week because if you, I'm not going to spoil anything, but if you've seen it, could you imagine if those all came out at once? Oh, yeah. there, there's no way I would have not been spoiled for the season. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, 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 to a lesser degree, I'd say I feel the same way about the way WandaVision has unfolded. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and that's probably how a lot of it's going to be. Although I do think, you know, and if, I don't know how soon you want to wrap up this geeky movie conversation, but uh, <laughs> uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier definitely looks like a more traditional yep. MCU comic book. Here's what you all love to watch. Things blowing up and superheroes punching things. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see how that is. And, and honestly, I my expectations for that at first were probably as strong, if not stronger. But the way WandaVision has sort of taught me to enjoy MCU in a different way, I'm almost going to miss that <laughs> when it comes to uh, Falcon and the Winter yeah. Soldier. Yeah. Well, you know, just kind of to circle back to your earlier point, and, and also Marty made the same point, is the type of storytelling that is sort of like, I guess, allowed with superheroes, I think should be a little bit broader. You know, you think of like Logan in that movie yeah. oh, and, yeah. and how, how different of a superhero story that was. And WandaVision is kind of in the same idea where you have this, this in this case, kind of, uh, you know, cut up, you know, sort of piece together type of story. But it's it's going to end up being a superhero story. But it's just told from a kind of a different technique and a different method. And I, I welcome that. You know, I, I really like to see that. Yeah, I from a consumer standpoint, I do too. And plus, I mean, if you're in Marvel's or Disney's shoes, like it's so brilliant on so many levels too because they've now successfully taken characters who are admittedly very B-tier characters right. to begin with. And I'm telling you, by the end of this season... I'm as invested in Vision and Wanda as I am just about any other character uh, in the MCU. Yep. Like I, I'd, I'd watch a movie. You know, they, they, they definitely have made these characters household names in a significant way. Yeah, and it's funny. Yeah, you, I would 100% watch a Wanda movie. Go ahead, Marty. No, I was gonna say it's funny that you mentioned uh, Cap, Cap, uh, Cap is it Captain Falcon? No, what is it? <laughs> Falcon and Winter Soldier. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I couldn't remember which one was first. Uh, so yeah, I saw the latest trailer for that, and I went, "Yeah, I'll watch it. Looks good." But I was the same way, David. It's like, okay, it's it's what I expect from a a show, and I thought, well, it's not WandaVision. and I'm like kind of downplaying it. It may be a, a way better than that, but that's just kind of how I look at it. But but then I look at things like, but now Loki looks really interesting because it has like a little bit of a twist, and then yep. I'm super excited about the what if animated series because you're talking you're talking about opening up the world you do it with the what if series yeah i can't wait i absolutely cannot wait for that one yeah that's probably the one also that um i mean they keep making me change my mind but that was when they started announcing all the marvel stuff for disney plus what if was easily my the one that i was most looking forward to i'm a huge animation nerd and Mm -hmm. I love the concept, you know, of all, you know, do all, all the what if comic type storylines like that way. I'm totally down for that. In fact, I saw something the other day. I don't know if this is legitimate, but I saw something that was a, apparently some sort of leaked schedule of their programming. And it looked to me like there was a lot more what if episodes than I'd imagined there was going to be. Like hmm. there was like a lot of them. So I don't know what all they're going to be uh, including in those episodes, but it should be pretty cool well that one could just go forever when you saw that was it by chance are they going to get the voice actors from the movies to do the characters in the cartoon because that would be cool if they did well i do know i I know this or at least this is what was reported a while ago and this wasn't leaked this was part of their announcement um i know the woman who played 
I can't remember her name. Who's Captain America's Carter? Agent Carter? Brie Larson. No, I'm just not Brie Larson. So you said Captain America. Um, no, I can't, yeah. I can't think of her name. Whoever, she played Agent. Whoever, yeah, whoever that actress is, she's doing the voice for the animated version in the What If. And I believe, and I hope I'm not misspeaking, but I believe that uh, Chadwick Boseman's last performance as Black Panther is in the episode where he plays T'Challa in, oh, wow. in the uh, What If series as that's part of be- the... Yeah. That's going to be it, rough to watch. Yes, yeah. that will be hard to watch. I mean, and, and also fantastic at the same yeah, time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, gentlemen. Well, that was a nice WandaVision <laughs> chat. <laughs> I was, uh, we were thinking about having Tony from Rolling Dice and Taking Names, and I had all this lawnmower chat ready because <laughs> uh, it's starting to get spring here. The snow's starting to melt, and I was really excited to talk to Tony about his lawnmower. But uh, This was way more uh, fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had a good time talking yeah, about I'm this. Yeah, I'm a lot like Tony. I have a fluffier face. I'm slightly younger. And what I don't know about lawnmowers, I know about WandaVision. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Okay, we're going to take a quick little break here. And then I'm going to come back and review a whole mess of games. And then uh, we'll jump back in here with our reverse top 10. And we'll see you two guys on the other side. Joel, wait a minute. So when you when you go do this, what are David and I supposed to do over here? You guys can keep talking about WandaVision. Okay, we can do that. We can do that. Okay, so let's just jump right into uh, the abyss here. I've got 10 games I'm going to go through that kind of like didn't make the cut. I'll try to be brief and succinct. I do want to kind of make kind of an honorable mention here and one that I kind of thought about putting in here. This is the new release from Games Workshop for Kill Team called Kill Team Pariah Nexus. So I'm in the middle of painting this stuff up right now. I'm looking at it right here. And I'm excited to get into it, excited to play it. Uh, it's got some Necrons in it. It's got some Space Marines, which I don't have, which I'm going to paint up as Death Watch to go with my Death Watch army. It's got some kind of interesting terrain and stuff. So it's a lot like Kill Team Arena if you ever played any of that stuff. But it's a very weirdly sort of put together box. It costs $160 retail. And it comes with not really a lot of stuff. And what's there is kind of strangely sort of put together. So the Death Watch or the Space Marine guys that you've got there, that's a pretty bona fide kill team. You've got a commander if you want to play commander mode. That's kind of neat. The Necrons that are there don't really make a full kill team unless you include the commander that they do include. But at that point, you're not really at a full commander mode because you play with more points when you play with commander. So it doesn't really kind of make sense in that kind of composition. So that's pretty off-putting. Now, the price is a little bit off-putting as well. And if you watch some reviews I did over the last couple of months, they've come out with two boxes. One I really liked, which was the Blood Bowl second season. I thought that was a finely produced box. I thought it was a a good deal in terms of the price versus what you get in the box. And everything was well-polished and well-rounded out and all that kind of fun stuff. And then there was the Warcry Catacombs box, which I think was around $200, so even more. And it also was decent like it's I'm, I'm glad that i have it and i'm it's gonna you know make my Warcry games give me some options to play with there come with some two cool war bands and that kind of stuff 
But as an overall package, it kind of missed the mark, I thought. And I mentioned that in the review. And this one here, I'm kind of of two minds about. Because I'm really excited by some parts of this Kill Team Priya Nexus box. But it's hard for me to sit down and do a review and recommend people go out and buy it. Because um, you really should buy some extra little Necrons or something to kind of flesh out your Kill Team. So that's going to be an extra 30 to 40 bucks there. And, you know, then so you're looking at 200 bucks. So and it doesn't come with the you know, like the basic core rules. So if you were just trying to get into Kill Team and start it out, that's not what this box is for. So it's a very interesting kind of weird expansion. And they've kind of really gummed up the whole release here. They sort of kicking off Kill Team again. It's been about a year since they did anything for it. And so they re-released some of the Kill Zones, which is really cool because it gives you a lot of terrain. It gives you some new environments to play in, some narrative rules and stuff. But those boxes are... $20 more than they used to be and they come with less stuff like each of them removes like a sort of a centerpiece terrain uh, item so like for example there was one that came with this giant crane that's not in there and then they, they pulled out all the rules from all those boxes because you had like little cards with the little terrain and environment rules and stuff like that and then they made a separate book which I think is $40 that has all the rules for all the different kill zones the different terrains and stuff so it's just like a strange Really sort of off-putting way of packaging things. Now, all that being said, I think I'm going to do a, uh, a battle report with some of the new stuff uh, from the Prime Nexus box. Because some of the gameplay stuff and the elements and the environment stuff looks really neat. I've been flipping through and reading that. And I think you could do a nice campaign with it. Although, I kind of wish they would really lean more into Kill Team and the campaign and the narrative side here. They kind of slapdash narrative in Kill Team. I know they probably are trying to target as a competitive style game, um, but this is just ripe to tie in with some of the other uh, narrative expansions they've done for 40k 9th edition that are also set in the Prime Nexus. So to me, it's a, just a slightly frustrating where there could be like a little bit of extra, I don't want to say work, because the creative side... The work is there. I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff in there from the creative aspect. But in terms of the packaging, the release cadence, and all that kind of stuff, it just seems like there's somebody's kind of dropping the ball somewhere up the pipeline there uh, with the, some of these recent releases there. So I kind of wanted to include it on a blacklist. So my review of the box is like, eh, maybe, you know, split the box with somebody or something, maybe for some of the stuff, but it's not really a recommended buy. Um, but I'm probably, since I'm a big Kill Team fan, if you, if you watch the channel at all, I've done a lot of Kill Team stuff. Uh, I'm going to do a little bit of a battle report. I got some extra ne Necrons uh, to kind of spice up my Kill Team. I've been wanting to have Necron Kill Team for a while. Um, anyway, so that's kind of a, the first one. I just want to kind of mention that and, and kind of just get my thoughts out there in terms of like a review of a Kill Team box set. So let's jump in here. And these aren't really necessarily in any kind of order. Uh, let's just first jump into... Uh, Bonfire. This is the latest Stefan Feld game. Uh, it's come out towards the end of last year uh, over in Europe and now it's hit over here. And I was pretty excited about this one because it's also got solo mode uh, for, for a Feld game, which is a rarity. I think Luna was another one that had solo mode. And there's a solo mode for Castles of Burgundy, uh, which I haven't actually tried it. I've got the little board for it. But um, uh, Bonfire. So I was excited about Bonfire. And it looked neat, you know, like it's got kind of a cool sort of weird fantasy theme, uh, which, you know, kind of like Aquasphere had a funky sci-fi theme. So I was like very excited about it. But kind of the TLDR for that one is the design for me, like just wears itself on its sleeve in such a way that it was super off-putting. And I know people that are like not Felds fans 
are going to be like, well, yeah, well, that, if we look at all of his games like that, and it's like, okay, well, uh, this one to me is especially egregious because to me, what this is, is you shake up like this big jar of all these components and you just kind of sprinkle them and throw them out across the board. And it's just all these little like things that you're going to basically do set collection for. And then it just has this sort of, uh, you know, and I hate to say words like this cause I like a huge Feld fan, but like haphazard, like action generation tokens that you get from this thing and you get certain tokens that allow you to do certain actions. And it's this weird sort of like sort of weird handcuffs that are put on you. And it's just so like mechanically obvious the way the game works. It's like, okay, let me stare at the board for 10 minutes. Okay. These are the different things I want to collect because these will give me these different bonuses and these end game points. It's pretty straightforward. And then it's like, okay, I look at this other board and I've got all these action icons. Okay. If I do this and that, da da. But then a lot of times you can really corner yourself in such a way that you have to, like the first time you play it, I can see it easily happen where somebody's like, oh, I can literally do nothing for the rest of this game because I've just hosed myself up so bad. And that's fine. Some people like games like that. And I sometimes like games like that. But there's a couple of like little crutches that you can see. So like the first space, if you like move around your player board, you get like this gold piece, which is a wild resource. And it's like, yeah, because I can see how you can get a game where you're like, oh my gosh, I got nothing that I want to do. Oh, I can get this gold piece, which is a wild resource and I can do what I want now. And it's like, they just give you that on the board. And it's like, come on, like that is just such like a telegraph to me that it was like sort of designed into a corner. Now I'm playing Monday morning quarterback, which I hate doing. But in a day, I didn't really like this game. He's got a lot of better games than this. And this, to me, is probably one of my least favorite uh, that he's come up with. And I was excited about it to try to play it solo a little bit, too, because that's something that I've been doing a lot of lately. So anyway, that's Bonfire from Stefan Feld. Um, I've talked to some of my friends that have played it. They've enjoyed it. Um, I wouldn't say anybody's really over the moon about it. You know, they don't think it's his be- one of his best games. But some people have definitely enjoyed it more than me. And I've not really kept a pulse on, you know, what other reviewers thought with this one. Anyway, that's Bonfire. Uh, the next one is Aliens, Another Glorious Day in the Core. This is from Gale Force 9. I was really excited about this one. I think this one is hurt by well, a lot of things, but let's just kind of work through it from components into gameplay. The components, now you got to assemble the miniatures, which I think a lot of hay has been made about that. And the thing is, is you got to assemble them, and there's a tricky bit on some of the alien pieces. The Marines go together easy. The aliens have these tails that is just like ridiculous. Like you got to use one of those uh, Citadel Games Workshop things with the like little paint handles with the little cranes and the claws. And if you're a board gamer and you're trying to put those tails on, I've talked to a few people that don't really assemble minis and they were like, I'm so over the moon frustrated with putting these alien tails together. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I put it together a lot of minis now in my lifetime and I struggled with it, and I was like, "This is terrible!" <laughs> like, if you if you're a board gamer that doesn't really you know assemble minis, this is going to just send you through the roof because it's terrible. I mean, it's, it's some of the worst minis that I've ever had to put together with those alien minis. So okay, you got that, and then you move into uh, the rule book, and the rule book is kind of a nightmare, and they've sort of I think they might be losing a little bit of steam. Again, I don't like to talk talk like this, but. The last game, Vault of Dragons, had a lot of issues with the rulebook, and that was another one I was excited from Gale Force 9. Um, you know, since the days of Firefly and Sons of Anarchy and Spartacus and some of those games, they just the there's some kind of edge that's missing there. And, you know, I hate to say that, but it just feels like there's something missing there that wasn't there before. 
And the rule book is like, I'm still not 100% sure I played some of the combat right because I was like drawing so many different cards and things like that and trying to resolve all these for such like an easy kind of action that would normally be just super straightforward. I was like, I'm not even sure I'm doing this right, but I think I am. I had to go on BGG and check it out. Um, and there's a lot of threads there. And then the other thing about it is kind of moving now into the gameplay is it's just very random. Like it's just a lot of randomization and sort of procedural generation, but in not in sort of necessarily how the scenarios are set up. Like I think if they'd have flipped it, if the because there's like very fixed scenarios, I think there's four or five scenarios. There's like three that you can play as a campaign. If they'd have gone with like kind of randomizing that up, the scenario stuff, so you can kind of play through it in different ways. If they lean more heavily on that and less heavily on like, you know, okay, the NPC that you're trying to find or where the aliens are at is less random, but you could be more tactical about it because you can have games that are super kind of boring and you don't really interact with anybody or have that much of a fight. And then you have some that are just completely overwhelming and it's like, well, I can't even do anything that I, you know, want to do. So it's just kind of all over the place. And I have read that some of the expansions kind of fix some of that, but you know, I didn't try it with any of the expansions or anything. Um, so maybe this one kind of has hope that you could kind of get a cleaned up rule book with an FAQ, maybe a couple of little house rules on some way the scenarios kind of work, I think. And then of course, maybe some of the expansions kind of clean that up too. Anyway, so that's Aliens, another day, another glorious day in the core. The next one we're going to talk about is Sugar Blast from uh, Come On Games. And I didn't really want to bring this one up uh, because it's it's a really, it's a basic kind of kid's game. And it's kind of like playing Candy Crush or something as a board game. But I was excited to kind of play this uh, with my wife because, you know, we've screwed around on Candy Crush a whole bunch of stuff like that. And she had a phase where she got really into it for like a year or so. This is several years ago. And so I was excited because I'm like, oh, this will be fun. You know, it's a, it's sure it's going to be a kid's game. But, you know, she's like, oh, I like, you know, cool looking components and they look like little candies and stuff like that. And the game is terrible. Um, it's it's just so you, you you pick a piece and you'll slide it in and you drop other pieces out and stuff like that. And then you like tilt the board and they kind of slide out. And if you make a line of three or a little box and stuff like that, you get little bonuses and scorings and things like that. But the problem is, is everybody gets dealt like a secret victory condition card. And it's just like, hey, you try to do that and then, you know, try to get a certain sort of collection of the gems. So as you make sort of connections, you get to pull some of the gems that you made a connection with. But if you do like a big old connection, then you can start to pull like all kinds of gems off the board. So you can get more and more things. And if you have combos, you know, because you add new ones in and it'll drop and make another combo, just like you would on the video game. Uh, then you can do that. And I've seen, we, we sat and played it and it was like, I think it was, this was a little bit a while ago, but it was like turn two or turn three. I just won the game and I was like, honey, I, I didn't do anything. <laughs> I just, it just like landed in my lap and I'm like, you know, it's, it's a, it's a feel bad moment and we're excited and I, I just want to have fun. And so she, and, and, uh, and so it was just like, oh man, they didn't even think this through. Like, I don't know. It's, it's a cool, like, uh, physical mechanism, but the, the, uh, you know, the gameplay is just like fell right on his face, like right out of the box. It was just terrible. So anyway, that's Sugar Blast. The next one I want to talk about is a new game, I think coming out from Lookout Games and maybe Asmodee. And this is called Cantaloupe. And it's about a town, I think in France, although I think it's a fictional town. It's kind of spelled funky. And I was really excited about this game. So what this is, is like, if you take um, like the old Curse of the Monkey Island game 
and some of those old ones kind of like King's Quest or Space Quest or something like that, like the point and click adventure game where you kind of click on a thing and say, look at this item. It gives you a clue and you kind of walk and walk around. So it has that. And the component side of it is super cool because you have these like little, um, this is how I can explain it. It's almost like playing an unlock game or an exit game, but it's more like unlock actually, but you don't need the app because it has this little like viewfinder thing where you sort of have this little red screen that you, you hover over some text, which is all kind of obfuscated and blurred out. And then if you put it over that, it'll give you like a code, which you can then marry with like these cards that have like codes on the edge of them. So the main thing that you get is like a magnifying glass. So if you go look at something in this little world and the world is a big book, so you just flip pages, it'll say, you know, turn to page 17, have this nicely illustrated little scene that you can kind of interact with. And then you put the magnifying glass against one of the items in there and it gives you this little code and you kind of look it up and like two different things, either for the scene or like you have this kind of master booklet which you can look up things like in your inventory. And you kind of interact with that and you kind of move along. And um, so I kind of had two issues with it. One is the story wasn't really super interesting to me. It was like a guy who's going to go on a heist and then like you try to break somebody out of jail and you try to hire this code hacker and stuff like that. And I'm just like, I don't have interest in that, like being a criminal. That's kind of like a scumbag. And um, the other thing was the way that you kind of progress to the story and the narrative, there was just all kinds of like random little things that were, you know, again, like not really funny. <laughs> and so then when you would just read it and be like, oh, okay, they're just trying to be clever. But there was like nonstop little moments of like, oh, clever thing. I wasted two seconds looking at this and reading this. And then you're kind of just bouncing all over the place where it just becomes like a whole process of elimination type of thing. Or it's like, okay, look at this. Okay, look at this. Okay, look at this. Okay, that's not that. And I look at this one. I look at this one. And I'm just like losing the plot. The narrative is just slowly like going bye-bye. And I'm not even... A narrative that I wasn't really into in the first place just starts to really grind on me and all that kind of stuff. So this system, though, that they've come up with is pretty cool. I think it needs like, you know, honestly, like a couple of refinements, a couple of iterations. Uh, you know, maybe it would be a little bit better if it was a story that I find more interesting or something. But I think you could do a lot of cool stuff with this. I'd like to see these folks somehow get together with the folks that have designed some of the Unlock or the Exit games. And they kind of come together there and build kind of an escape room type of thing or something like that. That's a little bit more puzzly because there's there wasn't really like any mechanics it was just like you it really felt like i was brute forcing stuff now sometimes you'd make connections in your brain and be like oh well of course i'm going to go here and grab this and do that and like oh, cool i combine these two items kind of like you would in an unlock and then you kind of move along but it was just really like it became a grind pretty quick i played for a couple of hours and then i was just like ah oh, this is such a grind so anyway that's cantaloupe take a look at it uh that one i kind of recommend taking a look at and maybe you know if your buddy gets it or something like that try it out um, but I definitely don't recommend it. All right, the next one, we're going to start to get into probably a list of games here. Where people are just going to like send me hate mail here. Uh, sorry. So the next one is Cloud Age. This is from Alexander Pfister. Uh, it's coming over here from Capstone Games. This is definitely my least favorite Alexander Pfister game. I was so, so bored by this. And I will tell you up front, it tells you this like basic... Basically to play like three scenarios, they kind of get yourself in the game. Skip the first two, go right to scenario three. Because the, the first two like make it not, not even feel like a game. I was like, oh, this is just tedious. 
But even by the time I started playing like the full game or the real game, it's just, I just absolutely, it was not engaging at all. Like the mechanics work. They're kind of clever. You know, they're sort of interesting how things, you know, sort of fit together. You, what the gist of it is, is you're kind of flying around the steamship, uh, trying to uh, go through and sort of retake back cities after, you know, there's been some kind of like apocalypse kind of thing, I guess. And uh, and then you can kind of like uh, lay out these tiles. From, it's almost like terraforming, I guess, in a way. And you lay out these different tiles and you try to build them and build connections with them. And you have this really uninteresting combat with cities. And then there's like a worker placement thing, which I hated. This is the thing I absolutely hated. So you could take an action to uh, go and like put one of your little tokens or your, your meeples or whatever and say, I'm going to collect from this resource. And they have these cool kind of like transparent cloud cards and sleeves. And then you could kind of see what was going on there, but the clouds covered up a lot of the uh the, the the actual information so you kind of take a guess and then everybody else would kind of follow suit almost like a role selection thing in puerto rico like okay i choose to go collect resources and everybody else can piggyback and then you pull the card out and then whoever went there first kind of gets a resource associated with where they went and everybody else picks around that so it's kind of a random thing and then you get that you pull the card out of the sleeve and put it in your deck and then that deck is kind of like a ship movement energy generation deck um, which I also didn't like that, how you flip that and then you just moved like so many spaces based on that. As just like, I don't, I don't know, because I really like most of Alexander Fister's games, like a lot. Uh, I mean, I really like Isle Sky and Great Western Trail. I got to say that much. I'm not, you know, in love with any of his other games, but they're all like pretty good, you know. Uh, and this one, I just was completely just bored by the whole thing. Uh, it just, I, I was just completely bored. Like it was just, nothing like i was just moving around and getting resources and then like having like a two second interaction with a city which supposedly was like a combat and then i moved around and kind of laid these little green tiles out and uh you know to like retake back the countryside or the planet that's been uh you know wrecked or whatever uh really not interesting at all and i didn't even get into the campaign because i was not even curious about it after playing it a couple times with the kind of the build up and then playing like, I guess the full game. All right. So that's cloud age. Uh, the next one I'm going to talk about here is called crown of Imara. This actually came out a few years ago and it has, and this is another one that has like some interesting, uh, mechanics. I don't want to talk too much about it. Cause it is pretty like wonky mechanically where you kind of like you play a card and then you will activate an action based on the card that you play. And then the card also goes into kind of a slot for you, which is a number. You go one, two, three, four. And then you move either one of two little workers kind of around these two separate boards. And they kind of move around. And then you move them that many spaces. You have to move them exactly that many spaces. So the first guy, you put a card in. You do the card action. And then you move them one space. And then you do whatever action that space that worker fellow lands on. And then that's it. That's the game. You just keep moving around there. And you try to... Get yourself lined up in positions to sort of activate uh, and get little bonus uh, effects and and sort of like, you know, generate resources on the one board and then spend them on the other to get extra points. And it really was this not interesting. I mean, it was cool for a little while to see kind of the interaction of the tension of the card play versus, you know, how far you're moving this person to try to, you know, get all that kind of lined up and in sync was kind of interesting. But it was just like... Again, I hate speaking like this, but 
it was like everything about it was just like mediocre all the way across. Mediocre. This is mediocre. This is mediocre. 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 And it's like, okay, you're going to spend these resources here to collect the set, which is going to give you the bonus points at the end of the game. Like, I've seen this a million times. Um, so, yeah. So, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of kind of on the, the more simple side. So, I could see it as kind of a introductory Euro thing that might be interesting. But there is 5 billion other games that are that same weight that are actually interesting and have lots of dynamics. And this really did not have much of a dynamic. And I think that's really kind of my harkening back to my cloud age thing. There's nothing dynamic or tense about it at all. It was just things were happening and they were working, they were clicking and the clock pieces were together, but there was no dynamism, no emotion, no tension, nothing in cloud age or crown of Imara. Okay. <laughs> all right. So next one here and this, these next two, uh, kind of harken back to Cantaloupe and kind of the last one I'll talk about. But these two, I wanted to keep these two together. And I'm going to kind of bunch them together because they have kind of the same issue for me. And again, I'll probably get hate mail. But first one is Etherfields from Awakened Realms. And the second one is Sleeping Gods from uh, Red Raven Games. And so these are both kind of storybook games that have you know, sort of a game built around the book and the reading of the text. Although Etherfields is like a story card game, like a Seventh Continent or Tainted Grail. And I think I actually just do not like this kind of game because I did not like Tainted Grail. I don't like the Cantaloupe. I didn't like Etherfields and I don't like Sleeping Gods. Although Sleeping Gods has some, some actual merit. Um, I do not like stories i think and it's this could just be 100 percent me this could just not be anything to do with the design or the decisions they made in putting these games together because i've also recently tried to play some of those uh game books and stuff like that like i used to love when i was a kid like lone wolf and cub not lone wolf and cub <laughs> that's a good comic book but or manga but lone wolf which was a kind of like a choose your own adventure mashup with DD and like sorcery from steve jackson i love that stuff as a kid. Um, but these, I don't like these anymore because I tried to play some recently and I was like, don't, don't like it. I don't like these things where I have to go and read a paragraph out of a thing. Although I did love above and below. And I'll talk about that more in a minute, but I still, I think I would like that game if I played it again. Um, because the problem with Etherfields was it's so like random and just, there's no mechanics. You're just like moving around and reading stuff and getting jacked up by your, your dreams and all this stuff. And like, what? You had a nightmare. And it's like, what? No, I didn't. <laughs> now I'm dead because I had a nightmare or something. And then, you know, these things would take place in the different phases. And, uh, you know, it just, it's just clunky. And the Etherfield, I got to say, the Etherfield's rule book was, yeah, that was another nightmare. And so, but you just kind of like stumble into these things. And it's like, you, you move along these cards and it says, okay, open this thing to the passage six and read it. And it's like, oh, okay, great. Like, it's, these things that are like feeding me the story, it's just not something that I'm am like okay with anymore. Not that there's anything wrong with it. It's just, you know, having played some of these RPGs, you know, last week I talked about a lot of Age of Sigmar stuff or playing some of these other miniature games or a game like Forgotten Waters from Plat Hat Games where the story and stuff comes out of the mechanics. There is, they, they have sort of like a loose gloves with, slapping you with the narrative even like a pandemic legacy or something like that or my city even as silly as that is i mean that's that's the terrible example but like pandemic legacy for example 
it doesn't really tell you much of a story by itself. It lets the game sort of happen. And if, you know, the mechanics aren't always going to jive with like a perfect linear narrative, you know, within a sequence of events, but you can, it's got enough gaps in the right places and it fills in enough of the right places. And I think this is, the good thing is we're getting to points in games where that's starting to be the issue. The mechanics, like, I think we've figured out the mechanics, you know, like it's 2021. We've been exercising and investigating and evolving mechanics really for 25 years right now. Like we know area control. We know what problems can happen with a three-player game and an area control game. We know about hidden cards and multi-use cards and worker placement and auctions and stuff that is an auction but doesn't look like an auction and all this kind of stuff and action selection, action points. Like we've got it. Like that we have a a toolbox, a briefcase full of these mechanics that we can start telling stories with or having if different, you know, types of uh, statements and, and emotional sort of touch points and things that you can jump off of. So to tell a story, you don't need to say, read this, you know, and do this. And this is the story like that doesn't, shouldn't happen. Um, I think it's, there's probably still valid use cases for that kind of, that kind of implementation, but I don't, I don't think we, we need this anymore. Uh, so Etherfields is really kind of just an all over kind of mess. And I really didn't like that at all. Now, Sleeping Gods, Let's talk more about that one because this one has a lot of cool parts. So it has one of the coolest combat mechanics that I've seen where you like line these cards up that are the monsters or whatever you're fighting. And when you attack it, you sort of have to spread these cubes along these grids that are on each of the different monsters. So if I hit the one in the middle, I can start to, let's say I do three damage to it. I can hit like a cube here, move to the left, put a cube there, and then actually spill that damage over to the card to the left and hit it there. And each of the grid spots has like little things. Some will be hit points for the monster. So if you cover up all the little hit points, the hearts, then the monster will be dead. But they also will cover up some of the attacks. So you're like disable like a really bad attack and stuff like that. So the choices there for the combat is really cool. And I, I kind of hope and wish that that gets extracted and then pared down a little bit with maybe not a lot of other mechanics around it. And there could be like a little cool game there. Maybe like a re-combat game or something. I don't know. Um, but the other mechanics in the game, I didn't really like too much because you have this like worker placement thing with your ship that you're traveling around and you're just like getting extra cards and maybe, you know, restoring some fatigue because as you use characters to do actions, they get fatigued and you got to, you know, get it off of them and stuff like that or heal up a character or fix the ship. Um, and that was just super like not, not interesting. That whole board was just not interesting at all. But the combat was neat. And some of the storybook stuff was neat, the way that it would work. And you would do a test and you'd say, okay, I'm going to use these two other characters here. They're going to contribute to this test. And then we're going to flip a card, which is like rolling a dice to see what the outcome of the test was. Um, that was kind of okay. But the way that the story kind of just drops you into this weird, it's almost like you go through a Bermuda Triangle and then you're in this whole completely other world slash dimension and you're kind of wandering around. And I don't want to spoil anything, but there's a, there is a slightly interesting part about that where it's like this other dimension thing um but there's also like a lot of i don't know there's a lot of red herrings and stuff and i hate that and that's another th problem i had with cantaloupe um and i just not not like red herrings in this one in cantaloupe there was legit red herrings and i was like oh you just sinned because <laughs> you just know i don't want just red herrings because that's just wasting my time but this one has like little sidetracks that you can go off on 
But you end up with like this huge cluster of these quest cards with these keywords on them. And it's like you just have a mess of cards. And it just there wasn't enough like onboarding to get you into caring about the characters and stuff like that, I thought. Or there wasn't, you know, any kind of a relationship that you had with some of the NPCs that you interacted with. Like there was one particular instance where, uh, without spoiling, this one person was like, here, just take all this stuff. Cause, uh, and just for no reason, they like literally didn't even give you a reason. And then there was another part where I ran into like these statues. I think that was pretty early on the statues. So you ran into the statues and it was just like a dead end or something, but it was like almost like a stumbling thing. Um, and I think honestly, what I think they could do with Etherfields and with this game is they should just, and I hate the Monday morning quarterback, just cut the thing in half. Cut out like half of all these like little stories and tidbits. Because this whole problem, I think, is a Gloomhaven problem where it's like, let's have 90 quests and 90 scenarios. And, you know, they even fixed that in Gloomhaven in a way with Jaws of the Lion where they pared it down to like 20 or 30. Because you don't need 90. You need 40 really good ones, you know. And that's kind of what I think is the main problem with Sleeping Gods. It was like this... If you run into enough things that you're just like, I don't care about this. This doesn't make sense. This is just weird to be weird. Then I check out, you know, and I think that was, that's really kind of the problem with some of these games where instead of cooking in and baking in 12 to maybe 20 scenarios that are really interesting, really, you know, developed with a fine tooth comb, like Forgotten Waters only has six scenarios in it, and I hate to keep using this as a as a bash, but Forgotten Waters only has six scenarios, but you can replay them even if you win the scenario because enough of the mechanics that they use there is uh you know is interesting. So you can kind of replay and the map kind of changes and all that kind of stuff, but it's very succinct and explicit and efficient with your time. And, uh, you know, and you can kind of, some of the quests are bigger, but I'm not going to, I already talked about Forgotten Waters. So I think that kind of storytelling is a little bit more interesting than this. And what they did here was this sort of just huge deck of cards, like an Aetherfields or Sephcon. And it's like, oh, this is a vast world of like nothing. <laughs> you know, it's like, give me a world to step into, live into, get it, understand it, see what's at stake. And then tell me a good little story there. Or give me the tools to write my own story. Um, anyway, so that's Etherfields and Sleeping Gods. A little bit abstract there. Mechanically, Sleeping Gods just has some cool stuff. Etherfields doesn't. Um, but, uh, yeah. But I didn't really like how the story and stuff worked at all in either of those. All right, next we have uh, Viscounts of the West Kingdom. And this is one that I was excited about. I played uh, Paladins of the West Kingdom, which I only played once and I kind of enjoyed it. I'd like to play it again. And I was super excited about Viscounts because it looked really, really uh, interesting. And I think there might be a balance problem with the game, but I'm not 100% sure about that. Because in this game, it has some really, really interesting mechanics. Talking about mechanics, there's some really cool stuff. So you kind of move around this board, and you take different actions with your little Viscount on his horse. And you start to collect cards and add, add them to your deck. And then kind of like Crown of Amara, you play the card, and they kind of shift down in this case. So this kind of conveyor belt of cards. And some of the cards will um, activate with other cards you've already played. You've always got three up in front of you, so to speak. And then they'll trigger effects maybe as they go off the conveyor belt into the discard pile. And there's basically two, well, yeah, let's call it two ways to score your main points. Is One is kind of building buildings, although you don't really get a lot of points there. But the other one is like moving your little um, workers like up this uh, centerpiece in the castle. So as they move up, they'll like 
bump other players' workers off, and you try to control that and get a lot of points up there. And then the other way that you score points is you get these like contract cards. And this the contract thing is probably the most interesting thing about the game. Uh, but it's sort of, yeah, it feels a little bit kind of up to chance, which is okay. Uh, but so if you get like there's red and black contracts, I forget what they're called. It's been like a month or so since I played it. And at the end of the game, as you sort of deplete the stacks, if you deplete the red contracts, then the black contracts are going to score more for a bonus at the end of the game. And versus the black contracts, if you deplete those, then it will reveal this card that scores the red. You can end up having both be scored as well. Uh, but then if you have the most of the other card that's been taken. So it's kind of that there are cross purposes, which is interesting. So if I'm taking a bunch of red contracts, oh, good, I'm going to score the bonuses for the red. But it's more likely to reveal that we actually score the black and vice versa. Um, so that part is really cool. That part's a neat part of the game. And I like that kind of tension because you're like, well, I got to start buying into black now because I want to reveal the red and stuff. But Billy's already got all the black, um, you know, and that kind of thing. Some of the contracts are worth minus points at the end of the game. So you got to upgrade them and so on. But the lot of points <laughs> come from the center board and moving up the castle. And I think, I think that's just the game. Like if you play that out and, and go for that strategy of just moving up the castle up to different walls, which is this cool like 3D thing, I think you're going to win. Probably more often than not. Now, that's not saying you can't ignore the other things, but some of the things you can do with the building buildings and getting the cards and all that kind of stuff can help you get resources to move up the castle walls and also score you a few extra points in these other areas. So once that kind of like comes into play, it's like, ooh, that's just sort of not that interesting. And uh, the other thing about that is the really the way to play the game is just kind of look at the cards that are up as you move around the board and see which cards are going to help you do that strategy and go for those and just take those. And then it just kind of snowballs on itself because now you've got all the cards that are really going to be effective for you uh, going after that center strategy. So if all the players are kind of seeing that and fighting over that, then it becomes an interesting, a little bit more interesting game. Uh, but then it still becomes just like a race for that. And then you can kind of see who's winning because, you know, we just go, oh, look at Billy's got eight pieces on there and we all have one, you know. Um, so it's kind of cool, but it's also kind of not. So this is kind of one that I was like kind of, you know, waffling on. But I really like Paladins a lot more. So I was like, I can't really recommend this because in my review, I'm going to say, well, just get Paladins because that one's more interesting. Paladins actually kind of reminds me of Kalis a little bit. So uh, I don't I haven't I don't own that or I haven't got like a review copy of Paladins, but a buddy has it. And we played it, gosh, right before lockdown kind of uh, last year. And uh, I was like, oh, this is really neat. I haven't played any of these other West Kingdom games. And, uh, and he liked it. So um, he's a big fan of that whole uh, sort of system there with the, what is it, the West Kingdom and then the Viking one of the sea. That's the whole of the sea stuff. stuff. Yeah. So Vicounts, I can't really recommend. I think a lot of people will like it if you really like the Euro stuff, but it's so like clunky and stuff in a lot of ways. And I would definitely recommend Paladins over it. Uh, okay, the last one is, this is a weird one. I don't think this is a good game. This is the Princess Bride Adventure book game. But as a Princess Bride fan, like who isn't? Um, you know, I've been to showings of the Princess Bride like in uh, in Oakland, in the, in, or sorry, in Berkeley actually. And uh, where we would go and watch and everybody's like reciting the entire movie. You know, this is years ago. But um, <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it's a lot of fun. Everybody dressed up, you know, and stuff like that. That was a lot of fun. Good memory. 
And, uh, you know, I love the, the movie from when I was a kid. And, uh, you know, my parents took me to see it. And I was super excited about this. But the game itself, like, ooh, it's really basic. Like, super, super basic. And it's a kind of a, it's pretty easy. It's a co-op game. You play through, I think, six uh, scenarios through the book. But it's so, like, well-produced. And the art is lovely. And the different scenarios have to take these cool, like, sort of iconic scenes of the movie. And it just has an interesting kind of feel and stuff. This is one of those where I would, like, I'd probably recommend it. Like, to get it and play it, like, once. Uh, and I played through the whole, like, six-game campaign one time. And I was like, really? I was like, at the end, I was like, oh, that was neat. That was kind of sweet. You know, it felt a lot like the movie. But I'm like, that game was not good. Because you collect, collect these cards and play sets of cards. And each of the scenarios has, like, a different thing. And you can get little action cards. It's a cool little campaign thing where you get special action cards that stay in your deck to play and use in later scenarios, too. Because they get a little bit more difficult. Not a lot. And, you know, it's... It's just not like a very good game. Like if it was not Princess Bride, oh, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even think of it. I probably wouldn't even mention it in the negative sense. I would just be like, ah, I don't care. <laughs> I don't even want to talk about this. But because it was Princess Bride and it had some of those good qualities in terms of the production and everything, uh, you know, I was, I guess like I got to mention it because it just, the game is not good. But if you have a Princess Bride fan or you're a Princess Bride fan, get it used or something, you know, or find somebody to get it and then just play through it once or twice, maybe, maybe. And then, you know, do what you want with it. But I would say this is not something that you want to get and like keep on your shelf for a long time, unless you're like a mega Princess Bride mega fan or something. Uh, but I think that, you know, it's kind of unfortunate. But again, this is one I would say take a look at, you know, maybe demo it or get a you know buddy to get it or something like that. But that's not something that I would I would recommend, you know, as in terms of the gameplay. All right, so there is the list of sort of negative reviews. Uh, we'll take a little quick break here, and then Marty will come back, and uh, and we'll talk through our reverse top ten. And so, David, that's my theory on how the finale of One Division will happen. Uh, you know, I'm surprised we didn't have enough time to actually watch the next season of One Division, uh, <laughs> waiting for Joel to come back. <laughs> okay. Well, everybody, welcome uh, David and Marty back. They've been talking here for about an hour, and uh, apparently, I missed out on just a great conversation and theory crafting about yeah. One Division. Yep. So I'm sorry about that. And I'm sorry you all missed it and you had to listen to me drone on about a bunch of board games. Uh, but we're back here with our reverse top 10. And what we're going to do is we're going to walk down from actually number 11 to number one of what's currently on Board Game Geek here at the beginning of March 2021, in case you're listening way in the future. And we're going to skip one of the games. And it's not a spoiler, but Gloomhaven is on the list twice. Gloomhaven is the number one game. And Gloomhaven Jaws the Lion is also further down the list. So we're just going to skip that one. We're going to start with number 11. So we still do 10 games. And number 11 currently is Great Western Trail, which is a kind of a deck building, kind of worker placement game set in the Old West where you're kind of shuffling cows up and down uh, from Texas to Kansas City, I believe. And, uh, and so my replacement for number 11, just jumping right into it, 
And this isn't a replacement like I think this game is better necessarily. Although in this case, I I don't know. I'd have a hard time actually picking between these two. But it's just something I think is in the same spirit of the game that's currently in the top 10 on Board Game Geek for whatever reason. And my sort of ancillary pick here is Kalis 1303. Oh. And the, the reason I picked that is because it's kind of a silly reason, but I think there's a spirit there to each game that's very similar. Is they both have buildings that players build and then will either kind of, you know, thwart other players um, sort of building strategy or something that players can actually use. And what it does is it changes kind of the topography of the board and the landscape of the board is going to be different each game and kind of the strategies are going to change based on what players actually decide uh, to build. And so to me, that's that's kind of where those two kind of meet. Now, mechanically, they're very different, but I think kind of the spirit of the game, again, is kind of, you know, there's there's definitely a link for me between Great Western Trail and Kalis uh, 1303. So what do you guys think? Marty, you want to... What do you think? I'm 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 formulating because I was ready to say barnyard roundup, but I think I've missed the mark on this. <laughs> so, uh, Joel, I did the same thing. So I've also made a list, and I there was like with, with these, there's one item I pull out that's somewhat similar to something else. And for me, what stands out to me about Great Western Trail is the fact that you're moving through a path. You're taking one of your meeples or your workers, and you're going along to different spots and doing things. So. The one that reminds me of that, that's a replacement game for me, is Lignum. Have you ever played okay. that? Oh. I've not played Lignum, a, no. That's a, that's, I see that, Marty. I see it. Yeah, because in that game, it's also, you're moving a meeple through a path, and the goal is you're going to you know, chop down trees, etc., and you stop at locations along the way. You can leapfrog each other um, as you go along the path. So it doesn't have the card play, like uh, mm-hmm. deck building, like Great Western Trail, but when I look at it, it's like, oh, there's a path and I move around the board and then I, it resets and move around again, just like Great Western Trail does. Nice. I, yeah, it makes me want to play Lictum now. I, some of my folks in the group uh, locally have it, but I just haven't had a chance to get that one to the table with them. Yeah, it's it's definitely, Lignum is a, definitely an experience that you should try. Uh, I would say, and I, I'm glad you prefaced this by saying these games aren't necessarily the better games, but maybe just have something associated with them. Because, Marty, I'd be interested to hear what you thought about this. But would you play Lignum over Great Western Trail or vice versa? I love Great Western Trail. So I will probably always play Great Western Trail first. That's one of my favorite games from from him. So, uh, yeah, GWT. And I'm really excited about the new versions of GWT coming out over the next several years with a new version each year. Yeah, I am, yeah. Uh, you know, while we're talking about Great Western Trail, I am very uh, interested to see what they do there. Uh, you guys have thoughts on, on you know, what you think that could even entail? Like, it's certainly got to be more than just a simple reskin, uh, and it certainly seems like the kind of thing that uh, Plan B is trying to do with some of their games. You know, you've, you've seen like a trilogy if you will, of Azul, a trilogy of of the uh, Century Ro- uh, Century games. Uh, I'd be very curious to see what they do. I will say this. I'm a little bummed to see that the uh, re-release of the original, it doesn't sound like it's going to include that expansion. That's going to ultimately it's be not. separate as well. Yeah. There's going to be, they're going to re-release the expansion to be, you know, more compatible with the, the new edition. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I I'm excited that. though. I think, uh, you know, having played the expansion, I, I won't miss it. Oh, I don't okay. really actually... It's okay, but it's like you're playing a completely different game almost. 
in my opinion. But that's what makes it interesting, in, in my opinion, is the fact that if you throw it in there, it's like, wow, this is way different. Yeah, right. that is cool. Good sign of a good one. But it's interesting to hear that you could live without it, though. Yeah. I could. I don't know that. Well, if I know there's going to be some gameplay changes, apparently, with the second edition. I don't know what that'll be. It might just be like card values or building point values or something like that. So I don't even know if I'll pick up that new edition, but I will 100% pick up the other ones, like one set of New Zealand. I forget what the other one was, but um, I will definitely get those. That's it. Yeah, I'm super excited about that because, yeah, this mechanic set, you're like, I think the New Zealand one is you're like moving sheep instead of cows. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Well, yeah. Yeah. What are you moving in Argentina? (laughs) Uh, I think cows. I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> some sort of hybrid animal, probably. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Some hybrid sheep cow. Yeah. I, I have a question <laughs> for you guys while we're on, still on Great Western Trail. Uh, and I'm always curious about this whenever I'm talking about sort of these up this the, the top of the top list here. When is the last time each of you had that game to the table? Um, this would have been, well, it would have been a year ago, but we played it. I think the last time I played it was with the expansion, actually. Mm. sometime in 2019 though yeah that's not too bad that's sooner than me because i bought the expansion yeah. but i've not even ever played it uh when the expansion came out is when the last time i played it yeah it's a shame and that doesn't mean anything like the game's no good it's just that like it's amazing how many of my favorite games when i look at my own personal top 10 i'm like uh i haven't gotten to that table for literally years mm-hmm. um well we we have a weird lifestyle david <laughs> True, we, we, true. we we are not normal gamers here. We get a bunch of stuff sent to us for free and have to play it, you know, to review it and talk about it. And then it just keeps it's frustrating. And like in some ways, I mean, it's a good frustration, obviously, because I mean, I don't think any of us would do this if we didn't like playing sure. new stuff. First world, but it's first like, world problems. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. But yeah, like I find myself trying to force, you know, some of these old classics in. But it's amazing when you do. There have been times where I've gotten an old game like this out and i'm astonished after as we're playing it in fact not even after but as we're playing it i'm like we'll say out loud man i forgot how good this game was like oh yeah and it makes and then it kind of like sparks it and then we play it a little bit more for a while i don't i kind of want i want to try that maybe with great western trail but now that this new one's coming out i kind of figure i'll probably wait that's what I love about some of these classic games getting remade is games that I never played or haven't touched in many years. I mean, you know, you, you here we're talking about Kalos 1303. You know, that's a kind of a remake mm-hmm. of a classic game. Last year, I played uh, Tammany Hall that I never played before, fell in love with it. Uh, we just replayed the uh, version of Carpe Diem, which is a light failed game, but I enjoyed playing that again. And so I'm really looking forward to, I know the next time I'm going to play Great Western Trail is when this new version comes out. Yeah. Okay, so that was uh, that was number eleven. Although it's kind of the first of our ten. Uh, so number now skipping up to number nine, which is currently uh, actually I forget what order these are. Let's just go. We're just going up because I've okay. screwed myself up with this whole ordering <laughs> thing. I'm going because I pulled Jaws. out Jaws of the Lion. So anyway, the next one <laughs> is Twilight Struggle, mm-hmm. which is the classic. Used to be the number one game of all time on Board Game Geek for a couple of years. Yeah. And it's a two-player card game, a card-driven kind of area control war game. One side is the Soviet Union, one side is USA. A classic game. My replacement is... So the direct replacement probably is 1989, which is the same designers and really the same kind of gameplay. And 1989 is kind of like an epilogue 
to Twilight Struggle. So at the very end of Twilight Struggle, when the wall falls and then communism kind of falls in Eastern Europe, that's probably your easiest bet. If you'd like Twilight Struggle, they'd like check out 1989 for sure. But the one I would recommend, which is goes in and out of print, is a game called Wursindas Volk. Excuse and me? It, that's jerk. That, yeah, Gesundheit. Uh, that is a German for We the People. And it's also set in a, in Berlin and in Germany. And so one side plays Western Germany, one side plays Eastern Germany. But instead of like area control and combats and coups and nuclear threats, it's all about sort of the economic destabilization of each other. So you're trying to economically destabilize, you know, the other side. And it's very interesting how they kind of sort of breathe in the capitalism versus the socialist slash communist side of things and all that, how that kind of works out. And it's just super intriguing. There's a lot of extra crunchy mechanics. This is like a little bit more of an advanced game in terms of the complexity than Twilight Struggle. But I just absolutely recommend it um, as, as my kind of like alternative. If you like this Twilight Struggle type of game. What about you, Marty, since you're prepared? Yeah. Hey, hey, I want you to know I am somewhat prepared. I oh, then you go, pre- David. I, I wasn't prepared for the Great Western Trail uh, switcheroo. <laughs> but uh, and I'm going to pose this as a question because, A, guys, I've never played Twilight Struggle. Uh-huh. Oh, no. Um, and I, I think my suggestion works, and I think it's for people who okay. may look at Twilight Struggle and go, Ugh, I don't know. I don't know the theme is going to be interesting to me. But my pick would be Watergate. Does yes. that work? 100%. Yep. So Watergate, to me, uh, we played... When when did this come out? A couple years ago at... Was Origins. It PAX or, or Origins, okay. Mm-hmm. So I remember playing this in Capstone, sort of after-hours gathering, Um and we all fell in love with it. Um, and I, I just love the tug of war. In fact, I would say I, I started hearing people say, oh, this is kind of like a really, really lighter, streamlined Twilight Struggle sort of experience. Um, and I liked it so much that I kind of thought, oh, maybe, I'll, maybe I'd try Twilight Struggle, but I'm not sure. I, I, like, uh, I don't like the heavier experience or the real thinky experience, but... Watergate was fantastic. Plus, it was a theme that I found maybe, at least me personally, a little bit more interesting. I thought that was kind of a fun take on it. So that fits? It does. And in fact, David, I think that uh, at that night that you played, it was either you or Jeremy, Rodney and I came in, and one of you two said, you guys have got to sit here and play this game. Oh, yeah, I think it was Jeremy. I think it was Jeremy. And then he taught us the game. I'm like, wow, yeah, this is good. Yeah, there's been a lot of these sort of like Twilight Struggle fillers. Or 13 Days was one. Yep. Uh, there's a couple others that are really good. But I I think the Watergate was the best one of that kind of subgenre of the 30-minute Twilight Struggle. Because I, I absolutely love it. And it, it, it that whole like card play stuff is just like Twilight Struggle. But the way that you like build like routes yeah. to the evidence, you know, kind of tying Nixon back to these different sort of threads. It's such a neat dynamic. Such a neat, neat dynamic. And also, yeah, the, other thi- the other uh, thing about that, I've played that with my son, who obviously had no knowledge really of what Watergate was or what it was all about. So the theme didn't mean anything to him. And in fact, if anything, it was maybe a turnoff. Mm-hmm. Um, but after we, he, he, they they enjoyed the gameplay of it quite a bit. Just that whole sort of 
tug of war is just uh, incredibly fun, especially when it's driven by really thoughtful mechanisms. You know, it's not just very simplified tug of war. It's got a lot of decision making there and the, the whole sacrificing of cards and thinking, okay, I could use this card and get another use out of it or I could use it this way, and but then I'm ditching it. Uh, that is super satisfying to me. One thing I like about it, and I haven't played a lot of Twilight Struggle either, so Joel, maybe you can answer this question. But with Watergate, I love asymmetric games where when it starts, one size has one side has the advantage, but the longer the game goes, the momentum flips. And I think Watergate does an amazing job of that. Yeah, you know, it does. And Twilight Struggle actually does have that where it's, I would say, significantly or relatively easier for the Soviet Union to win in the early years. But as time kind of moves on, then it kind of switches to the USA uh, having a little bit of an advantage uh, winning there, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. So so the game that I picked as a replacement is one that, because Twilight Struggle is a longer game, a little bit harder to get into, I wanted something very similar. So I picked Europe Divided from David Thompson. Uh, Europe Divided is a post-Cold War game that takes place in uh, Europe, and one side plays as the European Union, the other side plays as Russia. Has uh, So you're playing two asymmetric sides. You have the card play mechanic, just like in Twilight Struggle, except the game finishes in about an hour. But you're still doing the same thing. You're, you're working over territories. You're playing cards to be able to move your guys around on the board. So uh, if you've never played Europe Divided, but you want the Twilight Struggle feel, to me, I get that from that game. Yeah, this is a game that I've – it's been kind of loosely on my radar. And uh, that's good. I'm glad that you're bringing this up. I'm glad we seem to be bringing up uh, games that I haven't played too <laughs> because uh, this is good. It's adding stuff to my, uh, my wish list now. And when did that know- one come out, Marty? Uh, looking at it now, so it came out last year, and oh, basically okay. I- anything David Thompson now designs, who also did War Chest and Undaunted, I will play. And so oh, when this mm-hmm. this came out, I said, "Dude, I got to try this game because he's really into making war games. That's that's kind of his forte, and uh, it's just it's a really tight sixty minute Twilight Struggle type game." Okay, oh. before we move on from this, so a question about Twilight Struggle: Imperial Struggle just came out. Joel, have you played that? Is that something I should try if I haven't played Twilight Struggle? Is it a good entry point? Um, you know, I tried to play it. There was a ton of problems with the rule book and the board and stuff like that. Um, but they have actually released an upgrade pack for it uh, to fix it. So, like, there's stickers that you put on the board because there's some there's some pretty <laughs> significant errors and things. Mm. Uh, so I haven't gotten past it. And everybody I've heard has played this has really enjoyed it. It is definitely more complex than Twilight Struggle. Oh, I thought it was um, less. Okay. I uh, know. It's it's uh it's got a lot of it's not like Twilight Struggle really at all. It's it is in its theme because it's like France versus Britain in the Hundred Year War and so on. You're kind of dominating the rest of the world and the the world is like your superpowers play thing and all this other stuff. Um but there's no car driven gameplay. It's uh, the mechanics are all very different. There is some sort of like area control influence points kind of stuff going on. Um, but yeah, it's it's more thematically tied to Twilight Struggle and set, you know, obviously further in the past. Okay. But that's about it. Okay. Okay. So that was Twilight Struggle as among other games. Uh, the next one on the list is Star Wars Rebellion. And this is the 
two to four player game, although I actually prefer it with four because you can play as teams. Oh. And this is like a retelling of the original Star Wars trilogy, although the expansion does kind of add in some Rogue One elements from that movie. And uh, and also, according to some people, fixes combat, although I didn't have a problem with combat anyway. Uh, but this alternative is, uh, gosh, I would say probably the easy call for this would be War of the Ring. <laughs> Because it's a two-player game set across a trilogy, and it has very asymmetric gameplay. And you know, one side is the free peoples, one side is Sauron and all those folks. And it's kind of card-driven. And Star Wars Rebellion is kind of card-driven too. But some other alternatives I would throw out there would be Dune, just because of the thematic quality of it. Because if you want to play Star Wars the game it's probably Star Wars Rebellion because you're just doing all of the stuff that you do in Star Wars. You have characters, you've got big ship battles, you've got, you know, intrigue and in a sort of, uh, I don't know, like there's like a hidden movement kind of thing with it with the Rebel base. And it just has a lot of direct ties to the movie IP like Dune does and like War of the Ring does. So that's my sort of suggestion slash pick. Although I, I hate doing the obvious one because <laughs> to me, it's just so obvious. You, Star Wars Rebellion or War of the Ring. Like Star Wars Rebellion made me get rid of War of the Ring just because I can play it quicker and I can play it with more people. And like I said, I prefer it with four and it just it's a little bit easier to teach and everything. But War of the Ring is excellent. But before Marty gives his, because I don't have one, I do want to comment on something you just said. And that is... Uh, I think going with the obvious one is not only like I don't think you should apologize for going with the obvious one because um, there's kind of be a lot of people listening to this like I, I've not played Rebellion. This is one of those sort of bucket list games that I still have not yet to play that I really desire. There are some bigger game experiences that I have no desire to play. We'll get to that shortly. Uh, <laughs> this one though, I really, really want to play. And from my perspective, when I hear you list off some obvious other ones, if they happen to be games that I've played and enjoyed, then I might be able to go, oh, well, if you're saying that's like this, then I'm definitely going to try Rebellion. So now with, yeah, well, with that said, I haven't played any of those other ones <laughs> you listed <laughs> either. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. But it, uh. I think that's a, a valid way to go about it, even though it seems maybe obvious to you. Well, David, unfortunately, there's not really a good video that teaches you how to play Star Wars Rebellion. <laughs> I was so, waiting for you. I, was so I have to. to do that. I have to. It's a running <laughs> gag. I have to do it. So, Joel, unfortunately, I couldn't come up with anything else. It's War of the Ring. I yeah. tried to yeah. come up with another two-player asymmetric game where it's, it's struggle and combat and everything. I couldn't do it. So I had to do the obvious also. I was trying to come up with a lighter version of Star Wars Rebellion. Uh, now a lot of these I've tried to do that for longer games. Mm -hmm. What's a shorter version that I can still experience that? And I just couldn't come up with a good one. Yeah, you know, I might suggest that Risk Star Wars edition where you're playing like the last 30 minutes of Return of the Jedi. Mm. But um, I have a hard time recommending that game because you've got to go to Board Game Geek Find the forum, pull up the FAQ that fixes the rules because the rules in the box don't really work. But once you play with those fixes, it's a really fun game, but it's it's a lot lighter <laughs> than Star Wars Rebellion. Like it's a quick 30 minute, 40 minute oh, yeah. kind of just romp and roll dice and have fun. So, you know, the type of player, maybe there's not a lot of cross section there between the two. Mm -hmm. But I would recommend if you're like super Star Wars nut, then the risk 
Star, I don't know, I don't know if it's Star Wars Risk. It's not Star Wars Risk. That's a much older game. It's like Risk Star Wars Edition, I think, is it? Yeah. So that that might be a kind of a lighter recommend. You know, the other reason that War of the Ring is a good recommendation on your part is that it's just off the list that we're talking about today. That's true. That's true. It's mm. just behind Great yeah. Western Trail, so they could wow. be interchangeable. Yeah, and I think it, I think it was up in the top ten not too long ago. Yeah, I think so. Okay, so that's uh, Star Wars Rebellion. We'll keep chugging along here. Now, the next one is Gaia Project, which is one of my also all-time favorite games. And it's also it's like the sci-fi version of Terra Mystica. Folks have played that. Uh, a very complex uh, sort of, I don't know how to even explain this, Euro game, yeah. <laughs> for yeah. lack of a better word. Uh, and this sort of you grow your empire you know, through space, but it is not like another one later on the list, Twilight Imperium or anything. It's very mechanical and dry and efficient with its use of, of uh, you know, actions and everything. Very, very brain crunchy one. So my alternative to that would be On Mars, which I actually prefer in this case. Um, and our, On Mars is a Vitalis sort of game, and he's well known for doing really complex games. Maybe needlessly complex, I hear a lot of people say, but I, I tend to enjoy most of his games. And this, of course, is set on Mars, and it's kind of like a terraforming type of uh, situation. You're kind of doing shuttle runs back and forth from Mars and setting up little colonies and factories and all kinds of different stuff. So that's my alternative to Gaia Project. Well, I I, I mean... Outside of the very obvious that you used to sort of describe what this game is, and that is being Terra Mystica. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it is it is the same game if effectively, uh, just with a different uh, different sort of skin, a science fiction skin, if you will. But it is an improved game, in my opinion, over Terra Mystica. Um, I agree. And if you've yeah. played Terra Mystica, you've probably already played Gaia Project. Um, one game that I find kind of not quite what Terra Mystica and Gaia Project are, but give me some similar feels, and that's Clans of Caledonia. Have you guys played that? Oh, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. I have. That was, I actually played that before I played either Terra Mystica or Gaia Project um, and really, really enjoy that. It has a very similar sort of thing. I mean, thematically, it's obviously very different. Uh, mm-hmm. you're, you're building distilleries and all sorts of stuff, uh, out in, 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 I guess, Caledonia. Um, but it's a beautiful little independently published game that has a very similar vibe where you're, you know, uh, evacuating your player board of pieces out onto the, the main board and very, again, very decision driven, very Euro-y. Um, and also they really leaned into the, like all the different clans that you can play feel have quite a bit of variable powers going on, just like Gaia project or Terra Mystica. Yeah, that's a great one because you're right. There is a lot of asymmetry in that game and you've got the whole player board situation. Then the cool thing about uh, clans of Caledonia that kind of sets itself apart from the Terra Mystica Gaia project thing is by the end of that game, which is something I like about it is you kind of get a chance to let your engine run a little bit. Mm-hmm. which is kind of neat because a lot of these games, you know, they kind of end right as you're about to explode and in, into points or, you know, kind of where your machine or your empire or economy is going to go. Whereas in Clouds of Caledonia, you can kind of like start to turn that wheel a little bit before the game ends, which is kind of a neat thing. 
Yeah, uh, yet another game I haven't gotten to the table in a very long time. Mm. I have gotten Ga- yeah. Gaia Project within the last year, though. Well, that's good. Nice. You're doing good there. Yep. Uh, so, and Marty? so for me, uh, I must confess that uh, when I looked at this list, I totally skipped over the Gaia Project one. So that's why I let <laughs> David go first, because I was quickly going through games, because I knew there was a game I talked about recently on our podcast where I made a comparison and I, and I finally found it. Uh, Beyond the Sun from Rio Grande Games. So the oh. the thing that sticks out to me about Gaia Project is the fact that you have your player board and as you move things off the board, off your board, onto the main board, it unlocks things on your board that gives you more resources, etc. Beyond the Sun does the same thing. As you move the cubes off your board onto, or your ships off onto the, if you haven't seen Beyond the Sun, it's the same sort of deal. You're moving stuff onto the main board. It unlocks extra resources and stuff on your main board. But then those pieces that you moved out may come back to your board, thus restricting the amount of resources you had in a previous turn. So that mm-hmm. feel right there is like the comparison between, that's the main takeaway I get from Terra Mystica and Gaia Project is I love that mechanic and Beyond the Sun gives me that same feeling. That's a good connection. Plus, not to mention the fact that it's science fiction, but a uh, side mm-hmm. note, Beyond the Sun, great, yep. great little game. Yeah, I've not had a chance to play that one, but I keep getting recommended to play it. So oh, I you got to try it. It's, it's Tech Tree the game for sure, but it's it's a lot of yeah. fun. I, I've had a blast with it. I played it with my stepson, and he adored it, which he doesn't really usually do. He likes board games, but man, he really enjoyed playing that one. Okay, uh, let's just keep plugging away here. The next one on the list is Through the Ages, a new story of civilization. So this is kind of like the second edition of Through the Ages. And I got to be honest with you guys, I really, I have played this game more times than I should because I really don't like it. And uh, we played the heck out of this game uh, a couple of years ago. And I've got a good uh, story where I play, actually got a chance to play against Jeff Engelstein online. Oh boy. And I thought I, I, thought I was going to beat him. And uh, how silly was I? Because I was doing so well. And then he just absolutely demolished me at the end of the game. And I'm like, you know what? I don't like this game anymore. <laughs> but uh, no, no, I already didn't like it. But he really likes the game. Uh, Jeff is a board game designer. I like a lot of his games. But uh, yeah, this game to me is, I don't want to make this turn into me bashing on this game again. Because I've done it enough on the channel. <laughs> but it's just so dry and so just, it's really cool. Like I can stand back and say, obviously I've, I've probably played it like 20 times, honestly. Uh, I can stand back and say I admire the design and I think it's well made and all this stuff. And it has all the business being in the top 10 of Boarding of Geek. It's just like for me, I just don't get excited by it. And it does some things with the whole civilization thing that sort of irked me. I'm kind of like a civilization snob in some ways where like, okay, you get the brick factory and now I can't make bricks. You know, that seems silly to me. Like, of course, I would steal your technology or learn it from you in two years after you invented it. Now I could do it. That kind of stuff is very strange. But getting to my alternatives are, if you like Through the Ages, or you're like me and don't, but you want to like a Civilization game, I would recommend two games, actually. One would be Clash of Cultures, which is getting a reprint this year. Yep. Which is more of a Meritrashy kind of Civ game. But it has a lot of Euro elements, too. There's a lot of good efficiency, uh, you know, stuff that you got to parse and ec- economical kind of considerations. But there's some dice combat and stuff like that. But the other one, I kind of on the more Euro side of things, and I'm not sure if it's still in print. It's called The Golden Ages, yep. which was brought over here by Stronghold a few years ago. And if you want like a Euro game, but also a Civ game, 
It's got the tech tree. It's got the progression through different civilization eras and all that stuff. It's got all that. And it's a really fun, solid game. If you can find that one, I definitely recommend it if you're more of a Euro player. But do you guys have any suggestions for this one? So I've got I two. A, uh, go Dave, ahead, Marty. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I, since I have two, maybe one of mine is yours. So you go first and I'll take the other one. Okay. Well, maybe. I doubt it, though. Uh, well, I was just going to name a couple that I've had some experience with. I have not played... Um, I have not played through the ages, which seems like, uh, like a travesty. Uh, but I have, uh, it is a digital game cause I've heard so much. I bought the app once upon a time cause people said, oh, the app's the way to play. Um, so I bought it. I still hadn't played it. Um, but I have played nations. Have you guys played nations? I have. Do you guys enjoy not. that one? How does that one stack up in your opinion? Uh, Joel? I actually prefer through the ages to <laughs> nations. Yeah. What about? I really don't. I really don't like nations. <laughs> so, so I, I, back to something I said earlier. I don't like these bigger, heavier, drawn-out games. So I kind of err on the sort of more abstracted and lighter approaches to games, like civilization games. And that newer civilization game that came out, I want to say from Fantasy Flight, it was a civilization. Was it New Dawn? Is that what? It was There's called? that was one yeah, of my two right. civilization New Dawn. Uh, well, I'll let you talk about that one a little bit more, Marty, but I really enjoyed the mechanic. There's one particular mechanic in that that I really enjoy with the cards in front of you as a player. Uh, but another one, which is even more abstracted, which you may guy, you guys may not have played, um, not too long ago, Yellow sent me a copy of a game called Korra. Okay, Dave, just take my two then. I'll shut up. Oh, really? Yes. Korra was so much fun and it's very streamlined and it's very loosely a civil I mean it's it's a civilization game in theme for sure but mechanically in the way it plays it's it's very unlike most civilization games but man it had a really interesting mechanic where you're using two dice in a castles of burgundy-esque sort of way so you roll your two dice hmm. and then you're choosing cards out of a set number of action cards that you have in your hand you're placing them down, and then you have to put your dice in front of them. And depending on the number on your card, because your cards are numbered one through six, kind of like an action selection game. But depending on what you roll, it might cost you in order to sort of pip up your dice, if you will, in order to take that action. Um, and everyone can take similar actions depending on what cards they choose. And it really is, this thing is just a Euro game. You're also putting cards out into a tableau to really enhance your own personal engine but at the end of the day it is a big board of tracks that you're moving pieces up and down these tracks uh, and trying to do so better than everyone else i don't even uh know exactly when it's coming out i want to say uh august maybe mid august yeah is it august yeah yeah so it's coming out in a while, uh, but I was really happy to get the chance to take a look at it. Um, and it's incredibly well produced, which is important to me, too. I'm, I like the shiny things. Mm -hmm. uh, but that and New Dawn were the two, like Marty, that <laughs> occurred to me. It is. Now, Cora basically gives you all the tracks of a typical Civ game. you got military and economy, etc. And you have to balance, you know, which one of those, you know, you, you tracks you move up, etc. Um but that was that, that game was turned on to me from Ignacy from Portal. He played a version of it last year and really enjoyed it. 
But now definitely civilization and new dawn because there is a map and you're moving things across a map. It has more yeah. of the civ feel, but in a one hour game. Yeah. Both games are pretty short. Yep. Oh, that that's true. They are. And and if anyone's looking up Cora right now, as you listen to this, uh, I want to ask Marty, what do you think after we played it? Cause one thing is it is just a board full of tracks or yes. and not even just tracks, but there's a bunch of tokens you can take off of this giant, effectively a giant grid or field of tokens. Um, and I kind of thought that it would have been possible potentially for those tokens to be presented almost like a map uh, with various regions that, that are being conquered since that's sort of like the, the military area of the game. What did mm-hmm. you think about that? Uh, I guess I haven't thought of it in that way. Um, but yeah, I, I guess, I guess it could be done. The board looks very dry as it yeah. is, but I re it's, it's a game that you guys should not pass up. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. Just quick question because we had this. So in every game of core we've played, David, there was a runaway leader every single time. Oh yeah. You, you know, now that I remember you mentioned this to me, um, that is not my experience at okay. all. Uh, okay. in fact, uh, the times we played it, particularly one time with Alicia, it was just two player and it's probably a little better maybe at three, but we had a blast with it at two, um, two player. I was, I felt like a runaway leader because I had this engine that was getting me points every time I took a turn. Like I was getting maybe five points every uh, round. And every time it got to the point where, you know, round after round, it's like, you know, asking Alicia because my player piece on the score track was closer to her saying, hey, can you move me up? She's yes. You know, she's like (laughs) annoyed with the fact that I was just moving further and further and further away from her. But what she was doing that I wasn't was doing a lot more end of game stuff. And she ended up coming all the way back. And it was a pretty big deficit by the end game scoring. I was up like by 20 points. Um, And we both ended up around 100-ish points. And she beat me by like, maybe three or four points at the end of the game, which I didn't mind losing because I just love when that happens. I love games where it can be that tight. And I know that sort of implies that the game probably has a little luck involved um, to balance things out so that people can't run away with things. But I that's that's been our experience. But there are some pretty vicious engines you can build. Yeah, and I guess we should stop elaborating on a game that hardly anybody can play right now. That's so, true. Yeah. Joel, feel well, free, to, feel free to cut how, that 10 minutes out. <laughs> no, that's okay. How do you spell the game? K-H-O-R-A. K-H-O-R-A. And I think the O has one of the little hats on top of it. It does. It has a little okay. hat. And it's also, you'll see on BGG probably, uh, it is a re-implementation of a game that I don't know I think it might have been self-published or something like that. I'm not sure. And I can't even remember the name of that one, but I think it's on their page. Okay. Uh, Cora Rise of the Empire is what it's called on BGG. Okay. Okay. Now, you guys got my interest uh, peaked on that one for sure. I definitely would like to take a look at that. It's no through the ages, but it is a civilization game technically. <laughs> sure. Sure, sure. That's good. All right, uh, so the next one is Twilight Imperium 4th Edition specifically. And this is like the magnum opus board game that everybody is afraid to play. Um, probably with good reason, because it's going to take you six to eight hours and a whole Saturday or Sunday uh, to play it, especially if you're playing with uh, six players. And I think even with the expansion stuff, you can get up above six players. I'm not sure. Uh, my main game to sort of 
replace this one for me, and it would replace it, honestly, would be, uh, well, there's the obvious one, which is Eclipse. I would actually much rather play Eclipse because you can play it at different player counts and it still works and it's quicker and it's a little bit more my taste and mechanics. But the one that I would re- definitely recommend would be the Game of Thrones board game, uh, the second edition, but with the Mother of Dragons expansion. Uh, I don't think that game really comes into its own until you get that expansion and it just takes the game to the next level. And I've had an absolute blast uh, playing that. But uh, I like Twilight Imperium. To something about it, it's just there's it just overstays its welcome for me. I've only played it once now, and there was something about the way the combat cards work that just kind of bugged me because it was like you know five hours in or something, and I was like, oh gosh, is it coming down to this? And and uh, and I don't know. It's it's I need to play it again probably, but again, you got to block out the eight hours. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of my alternatives: Game of Thrones and Eclipse. Well, I have I have the perfect alternative to this. Uh, right. And that is to slowly hammer a nail into mm. your head. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. Uh, well, David, I, you took mine. Good Lord. <laughs> Have you played it, Dave? I haven't. I'm being completely okay. unfair right. to it. But this <laughs> this game does, uh, and, and, and like I said, I'm willing to admit these are green beans that I have not yet tasted. Um, this is epitomizes the kind of game that like just does not sound appealing to me at all. You know, it's right. not just the length of time, but am I correct? There is some level of like negotiation and like diplomacy involved, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's an emergent part of the game, but yeah. Also, not traditionally a giant fan of that because I think, and not that I don't dislike that as a me- mechanism, but I think that really games that 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 lean into that rely heavily on the group that you're playing with. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. so I have not yet tried it this is one of those things that I feel like I have to try but boy am I resistant to doing so and I don't have a really good uh, I, I to be serious I don't have a good alternative because I've never experienced it um, and, and honestly it doesn't sound like there's much like it but if you say Eclipse I have played that and I have enjoyed I enjoy the Euro aspects of Eclipse the taking things off of your board but i also don't like the non-euro part of eclipse that much either and the and the you know the the basically the building up of a giant force to hopefully see that giant force succeed but potentially see that giant force fail um, yeah and get completely wiped off the yeah, board, when, yeah. <laughs> when, whenever be it gaming or anything if i've invested a lot of time in something and then the blink of an eye that all goes away it generally doesn't equate to fun for me <laughs> Mm-hmm. and marty uh, so for me i have played terraforming mars it's one of these things i played many many years ago and i played with the wrong group and played for six hours you, and you're talking about twilight imperium i'm yeah. sorry i'm sorry uh yeah twilight imperium read the list as i tried to talk <laughs> terraforming mars is he next. Was yeah, just trying to move on like i was gonna do that but <laughs> um so yeah so it was excruciating and it was one of those where i got stabbed in the back and it's one of those things you expect to happen, but the way the guy did it was just so smug and callous that it just really ruined mm. the experience. So then I played the obvious thing. I played Eclipse, and I liked it much, much better. And I said, I'm never going to play Twilight uh, Imperium again. I've played a couple of games of Eclipse. But then I played the one that you suggested, Game of Thrones. It's like, ah, this. This I like even better than that. So I, mm-hmm. too, had Game of Thrones on my list. And I also would throw in there is just as an asterisk is uh, Mari Nostrum. 
uh, which has kind of okay. the same big oh. map, big feel. There's not a lot of the diplomacy like in those other games, uh, but I really, really like how Mari Nostrum works. Is that what the one with the chips? It is. Yeah. Yeah, the one thing you mentioned, diplomacy there, that is the thing that Game of Thrones, I feel, does, at least for me, better than Twilight Imperium and better than a lot of these games that are these big, you know, dudes on a map, whatever style games that have that sort of gnashing of teeth and sort of bickering and diplomacy between the players. Uh, the Game of Thrones one is just so cool how you put little tokens down and you reveal it and you go, you son of a, yep. and, you know, because, you know, you put the tokens out, which are the actions, and then you can just immediately reveal and see that they, oh, you've been screwed. And so there's a, there's a great tense point moment there on that game each round where you're just going, oh gosh, just, I hope he told the truth. <laughs> oh, you know what? The, the one reason why I was loved uh, Game of Thrones so much the first time I played it is I was a huge um, StarCraft fan which had right. also the action selection tokens that are face down and then you reveal them. And that moment of reveal is just so good. It just makes the, the tension palp, palp, palpable. All right. Good deal. Yeah. So I think we're kind of all in agreement on this, this one. Uh, so next one here is terraforming Mars as preluded by Marty. Uh, mm-hmm. So let Marty go first on this. I've been going first on all these. Marty, why don't you give us your alternatives to terraforming mars okay so when i uh terraforming mars uh an engine building game um the first one i came up with joel is yours so i said well i can't mm-hmm. go with that one um <laughs> so i said let's move away from the engine building game let's say putting hex tiles down on the board actually the first thing that popped up was terra mystica uh is where you're trying to pop- okay. populate a map and get stuff out on the board it doesn't have the card play obviously that terraforming mars has but again i picked some little aspect and try to match it with another game, and that for me is Terra Mystica. And we, since we've already talked about it, I won't spend any more time on it. Yeah, I think that's a good call there. Um, I didn't even think of that one. And you're right, because you are kind of building like a sort of a strange network of interconnected little factories and engines and things like that in Terraforming Mars and uh, Terra Mystica. Mm-hmm. So that does make sense. That does make sense. David, did you have one for this one? Um, I Well, I did, but it's a bit of a cheat. So get ready to roll your eyes and groan all you want. You can't say um, Gaia Project. No, I'm not going to say okay. Gaia Project. But what I am going to say is you say the card Mars, game, Ares Expedition. Oh my gosh! Oh, get no that <laughs> no. get out of here. That's not even is the Kickstarter even finished yet? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you, you, but you, you said Joel, we're we're sort of a different breed because we get all these games, and I did have a chance to play. That's true. I do. I I won't lean on that too hard, but I do want to say if you enjoy the card uh, tableau building aspect first and foremost, which is what I've always enjoyed about Terraforming Mars, to my mm-hmm. detriment, because I'm focused on getting all my little cards working, and I totally ignore what I really should be doing out on the board to score some points. Um, but the, the, uh, Ares expedition really leans hard into that. And then of course, as you may know, it it has the very, uh, race for the galaxy mechanism that drives it all. But, uh, it, it, I bring it up because it does really encapsulate the very, very same sort of feeling and experience as getting that you get from that, uh, tableau building. Um, aside from that, and this is a very different game, but I always come up with a reason to bring this game up. Uh, because it has never gotten the attention I feel it deserves, and that is Seasons. This mm. game plays incredibly different in many, 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 many ways, and it's a very different game, but the 
building of the tableau of cards. And it's one of the first games that I really experienced in a significant way when I was getting into the hobby. Uh, so it's a, it's got a dear place in my heart. Um, but the, the building of that tableau is the same reason I like terraforming Mars. Like I've got all these cards out in front of me and on my turn, I'm able to tap this one and do this one and use this action. And because you did this, I get to do that. And all those same sorts of things uh, happen in terraforming Mars. And I love it because just in general, in gaming in general, I don't care whether I win or lose at the end, but if I'm able to take any given turn I've taken throughout the game and feel like, oh, look at all the things I did, uh, that's like my favorite thing, period, uh, in, in gaming. So terraforming, terraforming Mars has a lot of that, and I think for me that's why it's super successful and memorable. Yeah, I like that suggestion of seasons. That didn't even cross my mind, but that's a, that's a great example of that kind of stacking of uh, abilities that kind of compound on themselves over the course of the rounds. Yeah, and Terraforming Mars doesn't have, I mean, it depends on what cards you play with, but Terraforming Mars played with the cards that are a little nastier. Um, right, right, can, yeah. Can definitely remind you of Seasons too, because Seasons has some super nasty cards that people oh, yeah. get really annoyed with as you play. But uh, side note, if you haven't played Seasons, hunt it down and try it, because I love it. It is great. Yeah, it's been some time since I played that, but I did enjoy that one for, for a period of time. But played it two-player, uh, by the way, not not four. Oh, yeah, 100%. 100% <laughs> agree with that. Uh, mine was, okay, my obvious one was Underwater Cities because everybody mm-hmm. compares Terraforming yep. Mars to Underwater yep. Cities. And I actually prefer Underwater Cities. But my other one was Imperial Settlers Empires of the North. Oh, um, yeah. So that that is a, kind of a card engine game. It's kind of the latest in Ignacy's ever-ending uh I don't know what multi-use card games because he had 51st state and then uh, the winter one and then he redid 51st state and then he did Imperial Settlers and now he's got Imperial Settlers Empires of the North. Although he's only a co-designer on Empires of the North. I can't remember who the other designer is. Let me just peek for us sitting right here next to me. Oh, Joanna. Yeah. Kajenka. Yeah. So that's a, that's a dual effort there on that particular one. And I really like Empires. This is my favorite one out of his little, journey here agree uh because it has just the coolest worker placement thing it's the simplest little worker placement thing and then that's just sitting alongside the uh the card play and the engine building and you know i i should say underwater cities because to me that is just the direct replacement for terraforming mars but i definitely recommend empires of the north or excuse me imperial settlers empires of the north because that i just had so much fun with that game over the years and i still break it out um and it's it's a lot simpler, but it still has a lot of uh, good gameplay. And there's a lot of asymmetry. So if you play Terraforming Mars with the uh, was it the companies or something, you get some asymmetry to start the game. And this kind of has that similar idea, but you have different decks for each of the different civilizations, and um, but they're not so drastically different that it's hard to play. And uh, there's a there's a new uh, expansion coming out soon this year for it too. Well, I think yeah, there's going to be. Well, there's there's new factions coming out, right? But there's also like a campaign co-op mode or solo mode. Yes, yeah. Uh, is it is it Romans that's coming out next? I think it's Romans. I'm yeah. not sure which ones I have. I think I missed one. I need to catch up. But yeah. Um, anyway, I know Japan's yeah. out. I know Barbarians is yeah. out. I think this is Romans right. that's coming up. So okay, yeah, because I have Japan and Barbarians, so it must be Roman then. Okay, maybe I didn't miss one. Is it late or something? 
No, it's it's supposed to be out this year. It just it's becoming in the next few months. Oh, okay, okay, good deal. All right, uh, so we've got three more to go. Next one is Brass Birmingham, which is the re-implementation of Brass, which became Brass Lancashire, and then now the sort of alternate version is Brass Birmingham. So that's the one that's moved up to number three. And between those two, I do think Brass Birmingham is the better game. Although, I don't know, in my own brain, I kind of go back and forth. Because it does add a little bit of extra complexity in Birmingham versus Lancashire. Um, and I sometimes kind of miss Lancashire and I want to go play that one. But uh, did you, do you guys have an alternative before I go? The I will say just the next three that we're do was the that we're going to do was the hardest for me to refine replacements yeah. to. Mm-hmm. This was the last one I found a replacement to, and I finally found one. And I don't even know if it's right. But the thing with Brass Birmingham is I remember, okay, I'm building links between things and I'm, I'm moving stuff across those links. So my game is Power Grid as a replacement for it. Okay. Yeah. I think that's fair. Because you are building like a network of, you know, your economy and stuff. Yep. That makes sense to me. And it's so funny. I would have thought, okay, Brass Birmingham, your standard fare Euro, but I could not think of another Euro that I played that gave me the feel of Brass Birmingham. It's just No, funny. I... I would 100% agree with what you just said. I could not think of another one that gave me the same feeling. Uh, at least not the same uh, feelings from the mechanisms. But I will say this game, I like Euros. Uh, and I wouldn't call this, this is not the heaviest of Euros. But for me, my experience when I played this was so brain melty. Like I was like, I, I don't know if it was the night, but I just had a hard time like really wrapping around all the things, all the options and what everything I was trying to make happen and get done. Um, and it's one of those games too, that if you play just like any heavier medium to heavier Euro, you play with people who like are really good at those and you're less good. (laughs) It's, uh, a painful experience sometimes. Uh, but I have been, uh, one thing I wanted to bring up about this game is, can you guys think of another game in recent memory that has skyrocketed up the charts as quickly as this one? Well, Other than Gloomhaven? Other, uh, other, <laughs> other than Gloomhaven and more specifically Jaws of the Lion. But this one, I mean, I can, I can understand Gloomhaven. Brass Birmingham is kind of interesting because um, I know everyone who likes it really, really likes it. But it also kind of falls into that category of, you know, uh, in my opinion, for me anyway, like so many other medium to heavy Euros. uh, And there's just, for me personally, there's a lot of other ones that I like a little bit more than this one. Mm. Mm. Um, Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, you, you, you have a good comment there because it is kind of a niche game as well. Like it's a very peculiar heavy Euro. Yeah. In my, it may medium heavy, whatever, but um, it's, it is kind of very unique, though, and for me, I would put it up at the top. I don't, I haven't done my like top fifty of all time, but it's in somewhere in my in my top twenty, top ten. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's I don't know. I, the, like you said, a lot of people really love it, and the people that love it definitely love it, and so they've rated it high, and it's moved up. I was just gonna say it's also, and this is a completely different point, but. Just from an aesthetic standpoint, what Roxley did by taking Brass, which was historically yeah. viewed as one of the uglier games uh, in, in, in the past, and made it 
unbelievably gorgeous. Like mm-hmm. the artwork on this board, while while dark, uh, is really incredible for a board game. I remember that being really taken with the detail of the artwork on that board game. And it just, I, and as silly as it sounds, I really think that plays a role. Um, it was kind of nice to see a game like Brass. And I know they've evolved it obviously a little bit too, but a game like Brass get way more recognition than it ever had gotten in the past. Yeah, and if you remember, the original version of Brass, even with all the ugliness, was in the top 10 on Board Game Geek for a long time. So it already had kind of a baked in yeah. sort of fan base and everything. That's so true. That probably contributed. But uh, my alternatives are, and I, I think I do have two in this case because there's there's two reasons why. The first one is Flotilla, which came out from WizKids mm. last year. And because in Brass and Brass Birmingham, you have this a thing where you are building your buildings and doing your networks and they're all connected by canals. And then halfway through the game, you erase all the level one buildings, you erase mm. all the canals, and then you start building railroads. And then you have to build certain level buildings to be able to build anything. And Flotilla has this thing where the game itself doesn't switch, but a player can kind of switch modes. They can go from kind of the water world mode into the Flotilla mode where they're kind of working in the air as versus working on the sea. Uh, I don't want to get into too much of the details of Flotilla, but it's a really janky kind of water world Euro game (laughs) type of board game. But that whole like flipping modes and how that kind of affects the economy, it works very differently in each game. But that really they are the only two games that I have seen where they have this kind of two perspective kind of thing where you're effectively playing uh, in Flotilla, especially two completely different games that kind of talk to each other. And then in Brass, you kind of have just that big shift, that big change midway. So that's why I wanted to talk about Flotilla. Now, the other one is Barrage. Because one thing that you do in Brass that you don't do in a lot of games is if I build, you know, like the coal mine and you build the ironworks and stuff, I can use your buildings there. And you, I want you to use my buildings because they're going to end up pulling resources off of them and flipping my building and scoring. And you might build buildings that I want to make use of because they're just convenient for me. And you're trying to build buildings that you want other people to use. Well, in Barrage, you kind of try to build buildings to get in people's way in a, in a similar but different way where, you know, I want you to use my little conduits and my uh, my different little factories and the different dams and everything that you can build. Because in Barrage, you're like shifting. It's this weird thing, but you're like shifting water down through these different... Uh, reservoirs and kind of powering this sort of weird fantasy steampunk world. Uh, but you're building buildings in such a way that you want people to use yours and you're trying to put stuff in the way of other people to like funnel water down different directions, different pathways. And so that kind of coexistence on the board of everybody kind of trying to get in each other's way with their buildings is kind of very similar. I thought, yeah, that's a really um, good connection. I had that had not occurred to me. Uh, in fact, it hadn't even occurred to me when I was playing, uh, barrage, but yeah, that is a really good connection. Well, thanks, David. I'll, I'll have you back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, that, those are my two there. But it brought or brass is so peculiar with the whole card driven euro game thing, it's just so different. It's hard to wind stuff up with it. Yeah, okay. So the next two, uh, and this one also, this next one shot up to the top of the list really quickly as well. I think in less than a year. This is Pandemic Legacy Season 1, specifically. Um, 
and it's a legacy game. It's probably the the game that probably put legacy games on the map, although Risk Legacy kind of introduced us to it, I guess. Um, but this one just really, you know, took it to the next level into the stratosphere. Uh, one of the best gaming experiences, uh, you know, I've ever had is playing Season 1 and Season 2. I've got Season 0 here. I still haven't started it, but um, uh, it's just an excellent game. And so to find a replacement, again, I'll let you guys kind of go first on this one because my replacements are terrible no, <laughs> for this one. My, my I, replacement's I, terrible. I, go ahead, David. I, I stretched for sure because it is yeah. hard to find something that's like, okay, yeah, that that pushes all the same buttons. So I'm gonna spend. I'm gonna bring up one again in classic fashion, and by classic I mean tonight. Um, that is a far, 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 far lighter game. Um, but if you're looking at Pandemic Legacy and thinking I've never tried a Legacy game, want to try a Legacy game, um, I got a lot of the same Legacy fun and the same sort of addictive Legacy fun out of my city this past year. Um, with, uh, my wife, Alicia, we played it. We played half of it one weekend. We played the other half of it the next weekend, um, and, and really devoured it up. Now, again, this is such a super simple game by comparison. Uh, but we had not really played another game. Uh, it was legacy that made us want to keep going and keep going and getting to the end, which I know is our experience. We, we did play actually a little of season two. Um, I had never played season one, uh, and then I got season two when it came out for whatever reason, and she and I started playing it, and we were really enjoying that too, and I'm sure this is the way it is for some people, uh, some other people. We'd gotten to May, and we'd, we'd won every month. Like, we had not lost through hmm. May, and we were like, okay, this is fun, and we were feeling successful, and this is good, and then we we lost, right? Um and after that lost, it kind of like punched us in the gut a little bit. And we were like, we weren't like keen on devouring the next session right away. Hmm. So right. we stepped away from it for about a week. And that week turned into months and years. And we've never gotten back to Pandemic Legacy Season 2 after that. Um, and again, that's also partly because there's so many games that come across our doorstep and we're playing different things all the time. But um uh, the leg the the my city legacy aspect to that game was something that was so simple and so much that we could get into and after playing it we were like I thought to myself man we really should go back to that because it was fun playing that game that was kind of like a journey that we that we were on together yeah so you're not only stealing Marty's picks you're stealing mine because that <laughs> that was really? my pick as well <laughs> yeah no it's it's a great pick because you're right it's it's dead simple uh it, it's not anywhere near as complex as even pandemic, you know? Um, but that was one that I played with the family and we blew through that, uh, not in two weekends, but a few absolutely loved it. Start to finish. I mean, it just has that, a very addictive quality, like you said. And I think part of it is the whole, you get like three episodes or three games per season or whatever it is per envelope. Yeah. So when you sit down, it's very easy to play three games of this in a row. Cause the game will take you, you know, half an hour or so. Yeah, if. and then it's like again, 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 you know, and then you play three, and you're like, "That was great." And then next time, you can play the next envelope. Yeah, uh, I I would agree that structure was brilliant because not even the envelope itself. When we first played, we didn't even know what to expect, so you just play the first scenario of the three in the first envelope, and Alicia was like, "Oh well, that was quick. Let's. I mean, you want to do the next one?" Like, 
it was mm-hmm. so uh, surprisingly short yet satisfying. We were like, oh, let's do it again. And before we knew it, we were like spending the whole day going through like the first eight, um, what, however many envelopes there were. Marty? Yeah, so mine's not any good. Um, <laughs> so here's the thing. I don't play a lot of legacy games um, <laughs> or campaign game styles like this. And I, I played Legacy Season 1, started 2, but never finished it, never even opened 0. So I'm going way out of left field. I was just thinking of another co-op game that has some sort of story that has a lot of card-driven stuff in it, and that is Dragonfire by Catalyst Game Labs. There's probably hardly anyone has played, but it is a uh, game based in the uh, Dungeons & Dragons universe. It's kind of a, a deck-building game, and each of you have a role, and you're... <laughs> What's so funny? This could be for number one too. Uh, but you're going in yeah. and uh, doing campaigns, uh, and this is it's basically a story-driven thing. You you don't you you could play multiple times, so it doesn't have that aspect to it. I was also trying to think of other games. It's like you play once and never play again. I know Charterstone was one, but I never played Charterstone, so I couldn't put that one on the list. So my week one is is Dragonfire. I've yeah, never it's a tough it. one. That one came out what, like maybe three years ago? Four? Yeah, and they put a bunch of expansions out for that game, and my group liked it. But again, because of the stuff that we do, we're always bringing new stuff to the table, which makes a story-driven game very hard for us to play. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. This is not the kind of thing. This is the kind of thing that I'd want to play. I mean, I really enjoyed the ongoing experience with Elisha. You know, mm-hmm. like it's something that we can share together and enjoy like like we did with my city like we've done in a different way with arkham horror the card game um Mm -hmm. that feels like we're progressing through something together and yeah you know just talking about this though makes me want to get back to it like i don't know that i'll get back you know with having not played pandemic legacy season two for like what feels like maybe two or three years now (laughs) i I don't know that it, it seems like it would be dumb to go back to that and try to pick it up because I we have yeah, that'd be rough. We can't yeah. remember anything about what's happened, but <laughs> I do have a copy. I have an unopened copy of season one. Um, would you guys say that season one, uh, in your experience, Joel, you've played both one and two? Yes. Yep. Do you think one deserves the nod, or is it just up here because it was first? Well, I think I'm in the minority that likes two better. Uh, and definitely because it flips the script yeah Yeah. it's um yeah it's it's weird it's kind of like you're playing pandemic in reverse sort of at the start we enjoyed that too i i I enjoyed building the map if you will right and the way that it ends i I mean i'm not even going to spoil it it ends in such a cool way that i've talked to other people that have finished it and they didn't really like how it ended um and so i'm like really because it's just like the way that one ends, I don't want to spoil it, but it's like, you know, you play a game of pandemic and you try to win it with all of the little like extra rules that have been added in over the course of, uh, you know, the game. So it's, it's cool. I mean, it's awesome. But then the way that two ends, I was just like, Oh my, holy cow. It's just, this is like, I'm feeling, I'm trying to say it without spoiling it, but I'm like, it feels like an action movie, you know, like a good action movie at the end where it's like, there's a hero and stuff and I'm, I'm being very vague. I know, but it's, it just gives me, it gave us like a really cool perspective 
Um, that's you cool. Know, and how that, and it's hard to explain without spoiling anything, but um, yeah, so I kind of give to the nod there, but a lot of people I've talked to, well, a lot of people that I've heard said zero is the best one. Really? Um, yeah, but I haven't, I've, I've, I've opened zero and played like, uh, cause it, it's a little different than pandemic. It, I mean, it's pandemic, but it's kind of like season two where it's, it's a different game. So you have to have some different, uh, you know, strategies in your brain to when you try to t- try to beat it. And I've played the like intro scenario or the prelude a couple of times and, uh, and it's different. Um, so, but the people that I've talked to that have played it all the way through actually said, this is their favorite one because it's so different. Huh. Um, but those same people thought season one was better. So I'm like, I don't know. You're just trying to be cool <laughs> or something. I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't know. But uh, one is amazing. I mean, they're all amazing to me. If you said, well, I don't really want to play two, then just play one. I would say, yeah, it's, it's cool. Cause I think if you got to May, you got to the big paradigm shift, right? Um, I mean, it's been forever since we played. Um, oh no, you played two. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Never mind. Never mind. No, I, I was thinking of one. Never mind. Yeah. So I, w- I recommend any of them, honestly. But uh, yeah. Okay. Let's do the last one. And that obviously is going to be Gloomhaven. And I will hand it off to you guys to start this one off as well, I think. Well, I'm going to start off with an easy one. Okay. Bit of a softball, although you guys might roll your eyes again at this. Uh, have you guys heard this is kind of an obscure game, so maybe you won't roll your eyes. It's called Dungeons and Dragons. No. No. Well, it rings a bell, but... Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, in all seriousness, that's the, yeah, the vibe that's I got one. with this. Uh, although the one thing, and, and I know uh, if Isaac's listening to this, like he probably can't stand ever being compared to anything where there's dice being rolled. Uh, (laughs) But that is the one thing I would say about this, that this has over just about any other experience similar to it. And and by experience, I mean like a dungeon dive sort of thing. Uh, And I'm kind of ignoring the whole legacy aspect to it at the moment, but um, Dungeon Dragons, I mean, mean, it just felt like that. It felt like a great version of that out of a box for someone who likes less randomness and more Euro-y sort of experience, like the the way the cards work. Um, Right. Like that, to me, is the biggest hook. I can't think of anything else that even... I mean, I can't think of anything else that uses that mechanism where you're like looking at a very short list of cards and then you're playing one and it's got your initiative Mm -hmm. tied to it. And then right. it, it plays with whether you're using the top and the bottom of the card. Um, it's very interesting how he's built those mechanics. And like it, it's obviously up here for a reason. I wouldn't say Gloomhaven is in my wheelhouse, in my wheelhouse or my quote unquote type of game. But I right. certainly respect the fact that it jumped up here so quickly. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a good, that's a fair alternative as well, David. There is uh, Dungeons and Dragons because this really has the whole, the whole scope of a dungeon crawl. Because you go to the dungeon, you do your little combat encounters. That's what most of the quests are. But you have the little road travels and yeah. the different little random events and going to town and you know buying new items and stuff. And and you've got a long arcing campaign and side quests and things that'll kind of take you in one direction or the other. So yeah, I think that's that's a great uh, alternative. Yeah, and and for me, so like you, David, I'm trying to respect what Isaac did of creating this dungeon 
delve, dungeon diving, dungeon explorer game without dice. Uh, there, there are a lot of dungeon crawlers out there that I could have spit out that use dice. So, and Joel, I know this is on your list as an option too, but I'm, I'm stealing it. Um, okay. Thunderstone Quest. Uh, again, the idea is like you're going into a dungeon, you're building up a character to go into a dungeon, but everything is done through card play with, with the RNG is not through a dice roll. So, uh, I, again, out of respect for what Gloomhaven is able to pull off in a thematic game without rolling any polyhedrons, I, I went with Thunderstone Crest. Yeah. You know, that was my choice. Cause I kind of started planning to do this podcast some time ago. And initially, that was my main choice was Thunderstone Quest for precisely what you said. It's card-driven, and it doesn't have any dice rolling or anything like that. And it has that whole sort of going back and forth between the dungeon encounter and then going to town and going back and forth. And so it includes a lot of those aspects. And really, you could, you could just throw any dungeon crawl at the wall and say, sure. okay, well, yeah, this would be a good alternative. You could say Warhammer Quest or Descent. Uh, Descent. Yeah. 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 Anything. I've got a I've got a dark horse one that just occurred to me that I think it, when I say it you guys will go okay I see it what about Clank uh, Legacy I can't see it <laughs> yeah, I don't see it at all uh, you know I've not played Legacy I've only played the original game and then uh, in space same here but uh, yeah I and I haven't played all of Clank Legacy in fact I haven't played any of it but I've watched it played and and uh, Jeremy and Ryan and Kira played all the way through it for the channel and had nothing but incredible things to say about it but interestingly enough obviously you're quote unquote diving down into dungeons uh, and it's card driven but obviously a very different experience but it also has the legacy unlike some of the other things that we were talking about Yeah it's no, a that, bit of a stretch I think that makes it's a sense bit of a stretch, yeah. but Gloomhaven is an, a unique it's a unique product I mean it took what Descent and many other games like that have done throughout the years and truly made it stand out with the fact that it's got, I don't want to say more intelligent, but more, you know, the card play is just right. uh, brilliant. Well, you know, kind of circling back to WandaVision here. Um, <laughs> nice. We're talking about, uh, you know, superhero stories being told in a new way. Um, and there's lots of dungeon crawls that are basically like hero quest slash descent sort of offshoots. Whereas Gloomhaven is, is very much of a Euro minded, uh, you know, framework, but applied to that dungeon crawl experience. So I think that's, that's again, that's probably why it's number one, right? Cause it's kind of marrying those two worlds in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, so I think you make a good point there with, you know, we're kind of respecting what it's done and everything. Have you guys maybe, played much? Oh yeah, well I played probably about ten times. Yeah, I um, played a little less. I didn't less finish than that. the campaign. Yeah, Marty. Uh, Marty, yeah. Did you play much? Did you yeah, play all I, the way through it? No, no, I have not played all the way through it, but I've I've definitely played a few times. Well, you know, um, th this is my alternative is actually Alter Quest, which you know I said Thunderstone Quest was my initial replacement, but I recently played Alter Quest. It's good. And, yeah, I love Alter Quest. And to me, if you don't want a 90 quest <laughs> campaign that's going to take you 100 hours and two years of uh, your game nights to finish, um, but you still want some cool, card-driven, very thinky uh, gameplay behind your dungeon crawl, I think Alter Quest is a great alternative. Um, I'm absolutely like overjoyed with this game. 
Um, I've actually played this one. I'm almost played this one as much as Gloomhaven at this point. Oh, wow. Because uh, I played through the campaign of Alter Quest because there's like a story-driven campaign in it. And then I played a couple of other one-offs. So I guess I played it eight times, so just slightly less. And I want to play through kind of there's like a, I don't know how you say it, like a procedurally generated campaign. There's no story beats. It's just you kind of alter the decks as you play through these various missions. But it has a couple things in common with Gloomhaven Quest. The, first of all, the card play, like I said, which is really thinky. It's it's thinkier than you think it might be. Um, it does have com- dice resolution for combat, uh, but there's a lot of mitigation. And the way that dice work in this game is so interesting because there's no misses on it. Like when you roll the dice, you never get nothing out of them. Yeah, and that's you either get it. Yeah, that is brilliant. That is one. Have you played many of the Saddlers other games? I played some of their card games and stuff they did for FFG, but I haven't played any of this, uh, you know, the other modular deck system yeah, games. Their like newer the, stuff yeah. that they've been doing with Blacklist, most of it uses that. And right. it, it makes um, someone who's more inclined to play Euro games and not so much a fan of the randomness of an Ameritrash game, like it really takes a lot of that out of it because the fact that you're able to sort of build up sort of those fails, if you will, and then right. utilize those uh, reminded me too that, that aspect I really liked. Have you played many, much too many bones? Uh, I played it once. I this was once. when it first came out. Yeah, yeah. too many bones. I mean, separate subject for another time. It's obviously a lot of game to try to tackle, but it too used that mechanism where you can sort of start racking up your failures and let them mm-hmm. fire off to let you do something special. Um, right. It's not quite exactly the way uh, the Saddlers do it with their games, but that really makes the dice play a lot more fun for people who might not be rolling terribly well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a great little me- mechanic. The, the last part of it was uh, in uh, Gloomhaven, and I forget what they call it. They have these things like when you play certain cards, you'll like charge up a sur- certain magical element so that in, later on in the combat encounter, you'll be able to like you know do some kind of exploding effect so if you play like a bunch of fire cards you might do that for another player at the table and they'll be able to play their big old fireball or something oh yeah that little there's like a little sideboard where you're like affecting the elements yeah right and this has a similar thing where uh there's these it's called the altar dice they're rolled and put off to the side and they have different elements on their sides and you can uh take actions to kind of manipulate those um, but the other thing is the the enemies in that game, the adversaries and the villains, they can actually activate them. So as you're going through and activating the villains, they'll sort of spend those dice. Anytime you use that action, you spend and re-roll the dice so the element will change. So it's a little bit more random, but there is mitigation in there that you can do to play with it. And I just absolutely love that aspect because it's kind of like this crazy magic sort of bouncing off the walls that you're sort of trying to corral, similar to the way it works in Gloomhaven, at least thematically. Um, so that's a neat kind of little, little tie in there, I think, with Gloomhaven and Alter Quest. Yeah, as you're talking about it here, I'm looking at the page on BGG, and I happen to note that the hot review at the moment is by none other than Drive Through <laughs> Review. <laughs> so we, we've Quest? now uncovered your whole ruse tonight with this entire list <laughs> was to get people yeah. to go to this page and watch your review, wasn't it? Be honest. It worked. <laughs> In the guise of what is the two and a half hour podcast. <laughs> I'm glad to know that Marty and I are just pawns in your game. I'm used hey, to being a know. pawn. 
yeah. very expendable. <laughs> well, it's a recent review, so this is the reason why it's still up there. <laughs> but yeah, like I said, I you know if, I think this will be a game people will get sick of me talking about probably over the next year because you know I, I really am enjoying it quite a bit. But uh, you know, thanks for uh, revealing my my ruse, David. Yeah, uh, hey, maybe that's I, what I'm maybe, here for. I'm trying to uncover all the dirt in the board game industry and. <laughs> you were you were first on my list, Joel. <laughs> wow. So, Marty, you tricked me by getting him on here. <laughs> Tony had nothing to do tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what, guys? I super appreciate you joining me. I, I mean, honestly, uh, I'll even say this to you after we stop hitting record. <laughs> oh, um, that's genuine. I, I like that. I, I, yeah, I really appreciate you guys jumping on here, and David, especially last minute. Yeah, it was fun. I I I love. I, I had a lot of fun, even though I wasn't completely prepared. Uh, it was it was nice to steal Marty's thunder on Cora at the very least. Yeah, that that that's true. And yeah, I I love coming on and talking uh, with you guys. And and uh, Joel, you've done a lot for our show. You've come on our show to, to help share your knowledge of all things Games Workshop, and I appreciate that. And in fact, uh, <laughs> just a shout out to you, Joel, on your channel. Nice job on the uh, lore today. Uh, oh, thanks. Uh, that you did. Uh, I love seeing you go, do other things in the in the, in the tabletop space besides just board game reviews. And then it's just another venue. It's like, oh, cool. I never thought about the lore of this universe. Now I can go check it out from somebody I trust when they talk, when I hear about games they talk about. Oh, thanks, Marty. I appreciate that. Appreciate so, that. David, that's how you suck up if you want anything done. Too, <laughs> yeah. so. That's how you get invited back. <laughs> <laughs> That was the other reason I came on because I wanted to learn from Marty how best to suck up. I had not seen I did see the thumbnail for that, but I'm looking at your channel now. I haven't I haven't watched that. Maybe I will have to watch that because that is a world as you both know that I am not at all familiar with. Do you have any interest in getting familiar with it, David? Do I? Yeah. Um can I say no? <laughs> yes, you can. It's, do you have it, do you have any Go ahead. No, no. What, what I'll say is this: uh, before I was even into board games, I was definitely a guy who would every so often go into the, you know, board game store in the mall at the time, actually. And one of the things that was most interested, interesting to me, was watching the people play these miniatures games and thinking, "Oh my god, that looks so cool!" All these incredible landscapes built up, and then pushing these people around the board and. Uh, I will admit, as I've grown more aware of that scene, I think I'd be more into the skirmish type stuff as opposed to the mm -hmm. giant forces of people. Like, I like the tactical aspect of moving a guy and having him take cover behind a bush or the corner of a building and that sort of thing. Kind of like, effectively, tabletop XCOM. Mm -hmm. All right, I'm not so sure I'd be into... Uh, you know, armies. Like, All massive right, so armies. When people are pushing around, like, a block of what looks like 10 miniatures on one base. All right, uh, Joel, that, he, he just did an alley-oop to you. Just go ahead and slam it down, dude. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that, first of all, the skirmish games are how they get you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and second of all, um, I think, Marty, we might have to try to drag him along on a, a Citadel trip one of these years. Dude, war cry. Look into the yeah. game, war cry. Or if that's even too much, Warhammer... I'm sorry, uh, Underworlds. Yeah. No, where am I? Underworlds. If you want a quick skirmish game that with very few models on the table that plays in 30 to 45 minutes, 
one of those two games. Is that the one that came out like within the last two plus years? There was one that I they they sent me that was like it came with like I think maybe enough figures to have like a three on three. Yep, that's it. Okay. Probably. I mean, they, they've come up with some weird kind of one-off board games that are only in Barnes & Noble and stuff like that, so it might have been one of those. I mean, I do remember you guys talking about this one at the time. It was just a very straightforward skirmish game. You'd set up these tiled boards, you know, yep, like in an L it. shape or something like that. Yeah, that's the one. And if you like kind of, you know, LCGs or Magic the Gathering, that game is a very... Yeah, it's card-driven, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a, like a hybrid miniature game and deck building, not like Dominion deck building, but like magic deck building style game where you can kind of build a deck and and activate your figures with the cards and everything. If I get and into anything like that, Joel, though, you're going to have to commit to painting any figure I send you. Wow. Absolutely. Not. <laughs> Absolutely not. My backlog of that is uh, well, it's not too bad anymore it was since 2020. <laughs> but uh, yeah, anyway. Um yeah, it's good. And the cool thing about that game, David, is the you don't really need any glue or anything to put those miniatures together. If no, I, I did. Correctly. I did put the miniatures together. I, oh, okay. I was I was uh, fascinated, uh, and that's a generous word to use when I opened <laughs> the box and realized that I had to do that. Uh, right. <laughs> but I did put them together, and yeah, they kind of like they were basically just like a snap model sort of so, thing. Yeah. So, um, David, nice. here's where they get you: is those models in that game can shock mm-hmm. be used in games like Warcry? Oh, see, that's why they have a business. Yeah. It's and, and also, before I let you guys go, and, and thank you, everyone, for paying, you know listening to this. Uh, what was the name of that game again, guys? Which one? Warhammer Underworlds. Okay. But, but now, yeah. if you want the more, if you want like a small skirmish style miniatures game, not the card game, it's Warcry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and those and those figures can be used in Warcry, and then the figures in Warcry could then turn around and be used in the full blown Warhammer Age of Sigmar, you know, big army battle game as well. And I have both of your promise that getting into this does not and will not lead to any sort of financial commitment of any kind. No, this dirt cheap. cheap. Okay, dirt cheap. That's what yeah. I yeah, that's what I thought. And, that's what I've, I've always heard about, that about this hobby. You talk about Barnes and Noble's <laughs> games. In, in fact, uh, they're going to be coming out uh, Games Workshop with a kind of an entry oh yeah game into Warcry oh, through really? Barnes Barnes and Noble. So um typically Warcry is played with a tape measure. They're coming out with kind of a slim down Warcry game, except it's hex based, but a lot of the base rules and how the dice and skills work is the exact same way. So it's a very entry level way into Warcry. Uh, now see I I'll say uh, that as a noob, and I'm sure you guys probably are more in the tape measure group. Uh, but as a noob, that sounds more compelling to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, having a hex-based sort of thing, because that reminds me, I'm a huge fan of games like XCOM on the computer. Always have been. So if it's that sort of experience, I'm probably down to at least try it. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, that's a. It is a turn-based tactical game. Cool, cool. Well, we'll definitely, yeah. if, if nothing else, you guys will definitely have to, the, ne- the next time, if there is a next time in the near future where we're all together, you guys will have to. Uh, uh, oh, put see, me, put see me you're, in. You're, you're in trouble now because now, next time we see you, we'll be hauling you off to a table somewhere and you won't get to leave <laughs> for like eight hours. So, yeah. Oh, boy. As long as it's not Twilight Imperium. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, the, the hooks are in. You're 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 done. Your goose is cooked. <laughs> okay, everybody, let's. Uh, we're gonna go and just cut us off. And uh, again, appreciate everybody listening. Appreciate Marty and Dave for joining. Really, definitely appreciate it. Had a lot of fun talking to you guys. Yeah. I haven't talked to you guys on the phone for a while or anything or in person or anything. So this has been great. It's been amazing. And uh, let's just do the old thing. Uh, David, where can they find you? Uh, over at Man vs. Meeple and all things social media, Man uh, at Man vs. Meeple. Uh, we put up all sorts of content up there. I'm sure if you're listening to this, you may have heard of us, hopefully. Uh, but come over there and check it out if you haven't. Yep, and they definitely have a large variety of content these days. And it's uh, there's always something for everybody just about on that channel nowadays. Thank you. Uh, and then Marty? Yeah, so on social media, we're everywhere. It's Dice and Names, and our website's Roll Dice Tech Names. If you want to check out the ways to subscribe to our podcast, we have our big annual Squirrely Awards episode coming out. And uh, Joel is a presenter again this year, and he is doing the Miniatures Games Award. And Dave is a presenter too, but I just want to talk because we're talking about Miniatures Game, is Joel will actually be presenting our <laughs> Miniature Game of the Year Award. And that's right, and I'll have a special guest joining me as, mm-hmm. as well on my presentation. Oh, boy. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah. Okay, thanks, everybody. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.